All of the opinions expressed in this podcast are ours alone and are not intended to offend or disrespect any of the parties involved. We're just two people who know how to research stuff on Google and talk about it. We don't have any legal education and therefore shouldn't be taken too seriously. So don't try to sue us. We couldn't afford to pay you anyway. Additionally, this podcast is about murder and will probably contain many other adult themes. So if that's not your thing, probably going to have a bad time. So listen at your own risk. This is the part where we shamelessly plug our social media that I can never remember. Take it away, Mike. So don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at allegedly underscore pod. Find us on Facebook at that allegedly podcast and email us at that allegedly podcast at gmail.com. So pull up a chair, grab a snicky snack, and enjoy this week's episode of Allegedly. Welcome back to Allegedly, the true crime podcast that we record weekly in front of a live studio audience that consists purely of my five cats. And we provide our very own laugh track. I'm Heather. I'm Mike. And this week, we are diving right into the torture and murder of 12-year-old Shonda Shearer at the hands of four teenage girls. I feel like that was really heavy to say at the very beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. Um, I know, but you know what? This case is very heavy. Yeah. I mean, like, we got to a point where I told you, I don't want to talk about this crime. You're going to talk about the crime instead. Yeah. We, okay, you guys probably don't even notice, but we have, like, a typical, like, who does what of each case kind of thing. And Mike usually actually takes the crime, but this one is a little bit too much for even Mike to handle. Right. So. And so I didn't want to do it. Yeah. And I wasn't planning on doing it until we have sat down to record this episode. And you're like, oh, yeah. by the way, you're, you're still going to cover the crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess probably... There will be several disclaimers in this, but we'll go ahead and give you the first one. Like Mike already said, this is a case about the torture and murder of a 12-year-old child. So if that's something that makes you uncomfortable, we will see you next week. Yeah. Um, Bye. Yeah. We will get into the case, but before we get into the details of the actual event of the torture and that kind of thing, we will let you know in advance when that's coming up so you can yeet right out of there. Yeah, and that's when I'm going to yeet right out of here. Yeah. Yep. So we're going to get to the crime. You're going to be waiting for me to say something, and they're just going to mm-hmm. hear your front door slam behind me on the way yeah. out, and then my car starting up in the driveway. <laughs> uh, second or third disclaimer, Mike and I certainly enjoy humor, and we make a lot of jokes, and know that you guys, for the most part, understand that that's just part of the show. We're going to be as delicate as we possibly can, I think. With well, and we're very case. we're very hard on ourselves, and we talk about these types of things after we record an episode. Like, yeah. ooh, did we go too far? Did we make a joke at the wrong time? But we're usually, you know, not that it was an intentional thing, but just because we're both decent human beings, and that's the biggest compliment is. you're ever going to get from me. <laughs> um, those jokes are never yeah, at never... the expense of the victim. Yes. They are tension breakers. Yes. When there's something, like, super heavy, we'll try to find something to riff off of right on that but we never want you know we say this in our disclaimer every week that there is no offense intended with any of this stuff no especially to the victims who we have made sure that we always put front and center yeah please just keep that in mind this is about a child and we do take it incredibly seriously but we do need to to lighten up the tension at points so but just keep that in mind none of this has anything to do with our victim and or anything like that. So now before we dive right in, I think what I think is a big moment for us. This is the first time we are recording without eating at the Mexican restaurant first. I know. Because it is a gorgeous Sunday afternoon here in Florida mm-hmm. and we are together early because we are 
we yeah, it's Thanksgiving weekend. Case. Yeah, we needed <laughs> we needed all day because we have this case. Hint, hint. <laughs> Christmas special. Yeah, we have a very big case coming for Christmas, and we needed plenty of time. Oh yeah. To talk about that one. So, so we're having pizza instead. Yeah, we're going to have pizza <laughs> in between recording these two episodes. Yeah. But we had McDonald's before we started. We did. Which, in my sick mind, is a little funny to me. Oh no, here we go. Because... This is what I mean about McDonald's, the jokes, Michael. <laughs> McDonald's plays a part in this case. Yes, this is where they eat. Now luckily, neither one of us had sausage. Oh my god, let's get into the case. Okay. Alright. So we'll start with... Some information about Shonda. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's born on June 6, 1979 at Pineville Community Hospital in Kentucky to her parents, Stephen and Jacqueline. Mm-hmm. Her mother did have a daughter from her first marriage named Paige. And that first marriage was to Stephen's best friend, Mike. From high school. Yeah. So Jackie was like the new kid in school. And Mike and Stephen were both like, hey, it's the new girl. And they both thought she was cute. So they flipped a coin to see who was going to ask her out. That's how me and my friends always decided that, too. So, Oh. Hashtag okay. relatable. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike wins, obviously. So, I always win. Oh, my God. The Mike, We're talking about... The, never mind. So, yeah, Mike wins, asks her out, and then, yeah, they have their daughter. So, like, when she meets Steve, it's like... A familiar face from the past and he always kind of had a crush on her and you know i guess he ended up with a girl in the end so yeah well yeah for now yep sure okay obviously the marriage with mike doesn't work out right um so jackie is a single mom at 19 when steve is back in town visiting family and they bump into each other and they start this long distance relationship and that winds up being too difficult for them. They mentioned something about the phone bills getting too high because yeah. of the long distance. Yeah, because uh, he's in Kentucky. Right. And she's in Indiana where they went to high school. So they decide to get married and mm-hmm. she moves to Kentucky. Yep. So Shonda is born there and you had yeah, a I cute found little it. anecdote about her birth. Yeah, so she started having contractions, as you do when you're you know, right. nine months pregnant. And so they rushed to the hospital, and Jackie was told that she wasn't in labor. And she's like, oh, yes, I am. And then they leave, and she legit has Shanda just, boom, like moments after she just told them, or that she was told that she wasn't in labor. And her exact words were, she literally fell out on the table. So that's how Shanda made her entrance, and that's how she continued to live her life. Yeah, exactly. Like like the center of attention, like boom, here I am. (laughs) So Shanda's born. They're there in Kentucky. They eventually wind up moving back to Indiana, Mm -hmm. and they start drifting apart. Border each other. That I just found out literally thirty seconds ago. Yeah. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Just figured I'd let you guys know in case you were confused. I wasn't going to put that on the record, (laughs) but you went ahead and did it yourself. So um, so they start drifting apart when they're in Indiana. That eventually leads to a divorce. Jackie gets full custody. Steve sees both of the girls on the weekends. So Paige isn't actually his daughter, but he's taking Paige on weekends, too, as she's growing up. Well, yeah, um, because she was only, like, two. Right, yeah, super young. Yeah. They do reconcile at one point, not for very long, doesn't wind up working out. Yeah. So Shonda, from a very young age, is described as independent and super ambitious. Yeah, bubbly, center of attention. Yeah. So anyway, so Jackie winds up remarrying again a man named Ronnie and moves to Louisville, Kentucky with Ronnie. 
Shonda starts attending St. Paul Catholic School there in Louisville. Again, she's described as adorable, bubbly, friendly, outgoing, popular. She's participating in cheerleading, volleyball, softball, yeah. gymnastics, 4-H, Girl Scout. She gets great grades. Mm-hmm. Um, she's described as a prankster she's all quite around a few times. Like- so there's no kind of one category you could put her in because she's just she was really a well-rounded child like she was super girly and she loved to wear makeup and do her hair and wear like trendy clothes but she also liked to be outside obviously doing all the sports that you mentioned she, right and 4-H yeah. you know so very confident very secure oh, yeah. in who she was loved being the center of attention like yeah. we've mentioned oh already. and with the confidence and being outside her father did some kind of like either farming work or something like that and had a large tractor and he tells this story about how she wanted to learn to drive the tractor and she didn't want him to help her <laughs> and she wanted to get up on this huge tractor and drive it by herself at like a really really young age so just confident wanted to get out there and do things for herself and, and described as fearless by a lot of people, too, yeah. which kind of ties right into that same thing. Yep. Everyone says that she's a lot of fun to be with and be around, but she's also very protective. And she had this, like at her core, this sense of a need for justice, like for things to be fair. Mm-hmm. And so there was this story that I found where on Halloween, this boy threw a water balloon at one of her classmates. And so it destroys, you know, like the bag of candy that classmates yeah. carrying around while they're trick-or-treating. That should be a felony. And <laughs> I'm just saying, someone destroyed like my Reese's. Catch a charge for ruining the Three Musketeers bar. So Shonda actually goes to this boy's mother and tells her that this boy owes them a new bag of candy now. Yeah. And demands that it happen. Yeah, you ruined my friend's candy. What are you going to do about it? And so, or your son did it. Right. You better pay up. Yeah. You're responsible for him. He's not 18. Like, she already understood <laughs> <Yeah>. the law. <laughs> like, I can't do anything to this minor. Yeah. You're the one responsible for him. You know, and so that, that ties into this sense of justice that she wanted, this sense of fairness that she wanted to see. But it also ties into, you know, they said she was just very sensitive she was very caring yeah. and giving, and uh, she yeah. was described as quick to cry, which they related to her grandmother, but I couldn't really find a lot about the grandmother. She was also very religious as well. Other than being outside and being vivacious, she also did a lot of like quieter activities, including like she liked to sew, she liked to read, she liked to read the Bible, she was very devout in her faith, and she even asks her mother at some point what happens to someone when they die and how she could be a better Christian. Like, she was just very sensitive and in touch with that kind of thing. Again, just an all-around, like, well-rounded young girl. She was very interested in death from a young age. And she very openly, like, thought about it, talked about it, asked those types of questions, not just about death but like you said the the afterlife and yeah what's heaven I would imagine, like heaven... yeah i would imagine especially being in kentucky and indiana certainly her very very devout like christian faith probably had a lot to do with that as well yeah so then jackie's marriage to ronnie only lasts about four years mm-hmm. and her father remarries too but that marriage i believe lasted un- until her father's death later on but yeah that was a it yeah. seemed like that was a pretty solid one shonda really liked the yeah she really mom. liked really like sharon was her name and she really liked her and was like 
pushing her dad to quote pop the question like she was really excited she knew it was happening I was like are you gonna do it now and she asked it right in front of Sharon before he well and this is while she's super young like we're talking about 10 yeah. 11 years old yeah right about the same time when she's 11 she introduces her dad to her first boyfriend yep and then she already you know just I guess to kind of show she's advanced for her age to mm-hmm. already understand that and to properly apply pressure yeah <laughs> to her father to pop the question yeah, like hey weren't you gonna do something yeah tonight? <laughs> Did you forget? I did She probably went out and bought the ring. (laughs) (laughs) After the divorce from Ronnie, Jackie moves to New Albany, Indiana Mm -hmm. with Shonda. And so at this point, Paige had already turned 18 and had moved out. She's also living in New Albany. Yeah, Paige is living in an apartment complex in New Albany. and And then Jackie and Shonda move in right across the street. Yeah. So, and then Steven is also living nearby with Sharon. Right. And yeah. at this point, they had had a child or, or a couple I, of children? I am not sure of that at all. I do know that he lived close by and that he got Shand on the weekends. And that, and also that Steve and Jackie remained on good terms. And that Jackie also liked Sharon, the stepmother. So there was like no bad blood in between these parents either. Right? Well, yeah, it, it, it seems, seems like, like they co-parented pretty well. And it seems like both times that they separated, because we mentioned the kind of short reconciliation, yeah. but it was on good terms. It was a mutual thing. They just, they were drifting apart. There weren't any significant issues. It was just, hey, whatever this was. Yeah, it didn't work out. doesn't really seem to be here anymore. Yeah. And so they went their separate ways. They gave it another shot a little bit later. Still wasn't happening. And moved apart, and they they did seem to stay on. And on and hats terms. off to them too for one not being not just being great co parents, but even after the horrific events that we're about to describe, Jackie and Steve still stayed by each other's side as far as like they make decisions yes, together. They, yeah, yeah, they stayed by each other's side, and you know always had each other's backs even though they were divorced. So, so so they moved to New Albany, and Shonda is in seventh grade, and she starts attending. Hazelwood Middle School, and that's a public school. She had been at this Catholic school when they were in Kentucky, and now she moves to this public school. When she gets there, she's described still like that she could get along with anyone, she could converse with anyone, didn't matter what age, Mm -hmm. but then things kind of take a turn. Take a, well, yeah, this, this is where fate steps in, I suppose. So Shanda was nervous to attend the middle school like any 12 year old would be. So although she's popular and everything like that, she's still going to move from a place where she's popular and involved in so many things to go to a new school setting completely because it's a public school, like you said. Right. And, you know, you never know. Am I still going to have friends? Are people going to like me here? But yeah, she was she was making new friends. And one of her new friends starts venting to her about a recent breakup that she'd had with some boy. And that this boy had given her a ring. And Shanda, of course, she, like, almost like with the Halloween candy thing. Right. She's going to do what she needs to do for her friend. And she offers, well, I'll take the ring back to him. You know. And so she goes up to this boy and brings this ring back. And he just begins yelling at her, saying, why are you doing this? You know, my ex-girlfriend needs to be doing this. You shouldn't be involved. Yeah, he's just mind your own business. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how old this punk is, but whatever. <laughs> she should have chucked it at his head. Well, they're out of middle school, so he can't be older than, what, 14? Yeah. He's got to be between her age, 12, and 14. Yeah. So an older girl, who actually turns out to be this boy's cousin, sees all of this going down, and she decides to just, you know, insert herself into this scuffle, and it ends in a physical altercation. 
she walks up to her and like what like she like pushes her against like a a locker either way um this girl is just being physical with shanda right for really no reason just because the boy was her cousin and this girl ends up being amanda hevron who's gonna play a huge part in what's to follow well and just but to be fair not not physically Right. She comes but into she, play in the whole situation. She's the center of this entire case. This is why all of this happens. So they, what I have, the description I had is that, so Amanda actually chest bumps Shonda. Oh, because yeah, Because she's yeah. getting herself involved. And that knocks her into a locker. And yeah. then Amanda wrestles Shonda to the floor. Like, they're out just yeah. in the hallway. And just, just unnecessarily violent for, like, yeah. no reason on this 12-year-old girl. So, Oh, and you're this returning is... the gift he gave to his ex-girlfriend? <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, that it's on. <laughs> <laughs> and then what's even more unjust, and you know what? If this, I'm, I'm telling you, I feel like if justice was served properly at this point, then maybe none of the rest of this would have happened. Both girls receive... In school suspension. Well, and here's what I thought was interesting. And I know, you know, Shonda's new at the school, but it described that this crowd forms, just all of these students are forming around them, and they're chanting Amanda's name and cheering her on. And Amanda is 14. What a terrible stereotype of a public school. Right. That the second this ridiculous private school girl comes in and is like, hey, want to be my friend? Pounding on this girl who's a couple of years younger than her. Yeah. And these kids are chanting her name and cheering her on. And then, you know, it goes on for several minutes before a teacher is able to get like, in there. intervene. And then... Fight through the crowd like he's trying yeah. to get through a mosh pit and at a rock concert. And then she gets punished for it. Right. Like, Both what? girls. What? Yeah. So they're both assigned to in-school suspension for a week. So Shanda goes home that day and obviously Jackie's not please about any of this because you know shanda's not one who gets in fights and so uh, this is weird too because jackie also punishes shanda so she grounds her just because she needs to let her know that you know physical altercations are not okay so i don't know if there's a part missing to this story i I know maybe there's something missing that we don't know i'm not sure because i couldn't find anything about her even trying to push amanda away from her no i it was just amanda attacks her what blindsides her completely and is just pummeling her while she's got her on the ground well shanda assures her mother that you know this isn't anything to be worried about that shanda doesn't participate in those kinds of things and that's not going to happen again and she accepts her grounding and, you know, her punishment at the school as well. So Shanda and Amanda both report to their in-school suspension, and they end up becoming friends. So again, just to reiterate, Amanda is 14 and Shanda is 12. And yeah, so they become friends. And at this time, Amanda was dating a girl named Melinda Loveless. She was 16, but she was held back a grade. So she was still, I guess, in the middle school. I'm not really sure how their grades work, but they were in the same school. Or maybe their schools go up to ninth grade. Some schools go up to ninth grade. I, I yeah, don't know. some high schools don't start until they're like sophomore. Until the sophomore year. Well, I guess it wouldn't well, be would a be sophomore. sophomore for us. Be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in Florida we start high school in ninth grade. But we have yeah. sixth grade in our middle schools, which yes, they don't we do. always have. Yeah, yeah. I, I came from New Jersey and so up there you're in school, you know, K through six mm-hmm. and then seventh and eighth we're at intermediate schools, which is yeah. you know essentially the same as a middle school or junior high, and then high school starts at ninth grade. Mm-hmm. But here in Florida, it's K through five. Then you have six through eight. So, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I don't know what it's like in 
Indiana. So I guess we don't, I don't know either. for sure. Yeah. And actually, so Melinda was 15 going on 16, but that's neither here nor there. So. Oh, well, Melinda had been left back a year. Yeah, she was held back. Yeah. So that. Adds yeah, but to even it so, too. like a 15 year old would still be in that would, ninth would, grade. Yeah, year. so I would think that ninth yeah. grade was probably. But they're there. not. They're in the same school. So. Right. So I would think that ninth grade probably is attached to their middle school. Probably. So Amanda told Melinda that after her fight with Shanda, that she was really annoyed that she was going to have to spend a week of detention with this new girl. So Melinda didn't give it any thought. And that was until after the first few days of detention had passed and Shanda was kind of all Amanda could talk about all of a sudden. And she ended up confiding in Melinda that, you know, Shanda's not so bad and we're friends now. So... And that had been Shanda's intention. Was when, to, when like, they were going yes, to go into to, detention, she was like, I'm going to mend the fence. That was one of the things she said right. to kind of quell her mom's worries. Yeah, I'm going to, no, don't worry, mom. Everything's going to be cool. Right. So Melinda decides to see for herself what exactly is going on because Amanda first was annoyed that they were going to be in detention. Now they're friends. And now Shanda's all Amanda can talk about. Even at 16, because I know what you're about to say, this is like disturbing that this is how your mind works. Yeah. So so she starts getting worried because Amanda's talking about right. Shonda all the time. And then what does she do? Because <laughs> this is crazy to me. So she decides to see for herself <clears throat> what's going on. And she purposely arrives at school late the next day so she could also be put in detention. So I, Diabolical. I don't know. I mean, these are like, I, I don't know. I don't know. So it was in detention that Melinda started to feel threatened by another girl for the first time. And she kind of just began to witness that Amanda was becoming infatuated with Shanda. That she recalls that, you know, well, she's watching Amanda watch Shanda. Yeah, that yeah. she couldn't <laughs> like, take her eyes yeah. off of her. So like, she can't take her eyes off of Amanda, and Amanda can't take her eyes off Shanda, and it's, yeah. Yeah, so like Shanda gets up to like give something to whoever, like the teacher that's monitoring this detention or suspension yes. or whatever. And Amanda just watches her walk from her seat all the way up to the front of the room, back to the mm-hmm. seat. And Melinda is just yeah, follows her dead and eyes witnessing them like passing notes to each other. And we'll get into those too. This jealousy is most certainly the catalyst for like the unthinkable events that are soon going to take place. There's no doubt. This is where it all starts right here. So Melinda confronts Amanda and forbids her from speaking to. Quote, the little girl. So, yeah. (laughs) That same evening, Shanda tells her mom that she'd befriended the girl that put her in detention. So, Jackie wasn't pleased, even though she said she'd mend things. I don't think Jackie expected her to be friends with this person who just beat the crap out of her. Well, and also you're thinking, you know, this isn't the best influence for my 12-year-old daughter. Because... This older girl who attacked her. Yes, and Amanda had a reputation. Yeah. Yeah. She was very yeah, this abrasive. Was not her first fight. Yeah. She was also on the football team. And she, yeah, she was very, yes. So, although she warned her against it, she decided to allow the friendship to continue because Shanda was new at school and she was eager to make friends and she didn't want to stop that from happening. And she thought if Shanda's got a good head on her shoulders, if she's judging this person and thinks that they should be friends, that she should trust her daughter. So that's what she did. And I mean, you don't expect really terrible things to happen between a 12 year old and a 14 year old. So, well, and nobody could expect what ends up happening. Exactly. Yeah. So immediately 
the love letters begin. Before I get into this, again, I will reiterate, these are 12, 14, 15-year-old girls, all involved in homosexual relationships in the 90s. So some of the things that are going to be said don't obviously express our opinions on these things, but some of the things that the parents say and the actions that follow obviously reflect the time and the views of the people that are involved in all of this. Right. So And these letters and these notes, I am so happy you are covering instead because yeah. I can't tell you how uncomfortable it does. It made me when I'm looking at these things, even just hearing about the contents of these things when I'm listening to podcasters or things like that talk about it. Yeah, they're a little um they're a little much, especially for, I mean, even it, it wouldn't matter what type of relationship it was, whether it be heterosexual or homosexual, because of their age. Right. It's the ages it's just of these very, girls that like, made me uncomfortable yes, with that's, the stuff that's in there. That's the uncomfortable piece about it is just the kind of verbiage that's used in some of it is just a little, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a little much. There's no kind of kind of other way around it so so if you don't hear anything from me in the next few minutes while heather (laughs) talks about this stuff it's because i am going to my happy place and trying not to think about this stuff anymore yes so let me uh i wish you all could see the grimace on heather's face while she's scrolling through this stuff right now on her laptop there (laughs) there are quite a few notes and these notes are actually both detailed in two books and i'll give you guys those book names at the end and the authors in case you guys are interested in reading them so this first note for instance from amanda shanda sorry i didn't call i forgot could you give me your number in classes again please hey do you like iss i guess it's okay don't want you to think i'm a bad person or anything i don't like to fight i hate fighting It's just when I had you on the ground getting ready to hit you, I couldn't because you looked so helpless down there. But then you swung at me, so I started hitting, and you started pulling my hair. Well, I guess maybe Shanda did. So Shanda did try to fight back a little bit. I just kind of realized that. I've read this note like five times and just put the pieces together. Continuing. Well, I'm laying in my bed. About 10 p.m. Time for me to go to bed. Listen, okay, Shanda, I know the way you are now. Either you're putting an act on me and saying you like me, or you're putting an act on your friends. You act so different around your friends than you do with me. What's up? You're so nice to me. Please tell me, because friends just don't tell me their classes for the hell of it. So there's got to be a reason. I have a question to ask you. I know this is going to sound dumb, but do you kind of, in a way, like girls? If so, I think it's so cool because it's so different. Is that why you're so nice to me? Do you think I'm cute or something? Please tell me the truth. I won't laugh because I think it's cool. Your friend, Amanda H. P.S. Please tell me if you do, because I would really like to know. Melinda said she asked you about me, but that you said it was cool, and you wrote me and said it's nice. Please tell me. Do you think that that's what Amanda's voice sounds like? Uh, No, but it needs to be different from my voice. I know, but you made your voice higher pitched, and I imagine that hers is not higher pitched. Well, she's 14. She probably has a higher pitched I don't know the photos of her. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I haven't heard her speak. But when I look at like the pictures that she's they got have of her, she's got an average pitched voice, actually. And the, you know, just the demeanor that's described, her personality that's described. I just your voice is already very high pitched, and then you like took it up. Oh my god! A little whatever. bit. <laughs> anyway, there are lots more love letters like that that get really um, graphic. 
that I will not read, actually. But that's the first letter that Thank she writes you. her. And I actually do think that that very first letter also kind of reflects Amanda's pushiness towards Shanda or influence, I guess, so to say, because you just don't tell someone your classes for the hell of it. So she's just already putting in her head, well, you wouldn't tell me what classes you had unless you liked me. Like, that's not something that friends do, which it obviously is. Friends give each other their classes all the time. But she's making it to be like, I feel like she's almost pushing her to be in this like romance yeah, kind of thing. You and I always knew each other's class schedule. Yeah, we of were course. If you were like, I hey, have yeah. never been more platonic with anyone in my entire life no. than I am with you. Side note, for anyone that doesn't know us and is wondering, there, no. Mike, <laughs> Mike and I are purely... No, he platonic. He would he would barf at the thought of anything like that. So yeah, unless we're both eighty and unmarried, um, we can not sleep even in then. sleep in separate bedrooms. Nope. You just turned my marriage pact down. I did. If we're eighty, yes. Continuing. On. I'll, I'll I'll go ahead and, and try to save a little bit of face for both of us and say it because by then you'll have like twenty five cats and I just can't handle that much dander. <laughs> Uh, okay so yeah but kind of and also the whole like but to you kind of in a way like girls if so it's cool like basically telling her like oh it would be cool if you liked me you would be cool and i think that's something that a 12 year old girl going to a new school is definitely going to take to heart well and just a little bit of interesting background too because at, at this point amanda and melinda are kind of or very open about the fact that they're in a relationship. They don't really shy away from PDA or anything like that at Mm -hmm. school. But her father has straight up asked her if she is a lesbian and she tells him no. Yes. And Amanda has definitely said, no, I'm, I'm not. But in school, they're very open. And side note that although they don't seem to care when they're together, they do get ridiculed for it. Oh, Um, yeah. 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 They don't care. Right. But... So, definitely the, the climate at that point. Yeah. The next note I'll read that I feel is important is a letter to Shanda from Melinda. Shanda, don't be mad at me, please. I want to be your friend. I just don't like it when you speak to Amanda when I'm not there. I mean, why can't we all three be friends? You act as if you got something going on with her. Amanda and I are going together, and she loves me, and I love her, and she only wants to be friends with you. You need to accept that. Shanda, Amanda told me you're going through bad times. Well, if you need someone to talk with, you can always talk with me. I don't want you sneaking behind my back. Why don't you speak to Amanda when she's with me? You need to find you a boyfriend because Amanda is mine. You can even ask her. Please talk to both of us or you can forget about Amanda. You, me, and Amanda need to have a talk together and get this squared away. Then we could all be friends. Sorry I'm writing so sloppy. Can you meet us at lunch? Your friend, Mel. Which... Melinda sounded a lot like Amanda there. I'm so sorry. Maybe we can have <laughs> Sam put some sort of like voice changer over me to make it. Can it be Ghostface from Scream? I would rather. No, that's distasteful. Is it? I definitely think so. I mean. Right. Back to scrutinizing this letter. <laughs> so clearly you can see here from the first letter, Amanda is putting all kinds of little moves on Shanda, but clearly giving Melinda a different version of what's happening because Melinda is writing this sort of threatening, sort of friendly letter. Wait a minute. A teenage girl (laughs) is giving two different stories to two different people? (laughs) I know. So weird. Yeah. So 
But you can see right away that Amanda is clearly trying to influence her one way into being in some sort of romantic relationship. She's lying to Melinda, and Melinda is already starting to show her colors by kind of being rude. I, I wouldn't say that it's threatening. She just very strongly says, don't talk to her when she's alone. Why can't you talk to her in front of me? And if I'm being perfectly honest, they're teenagers, so they may not really understand this, but I don't really fault her for that. I mean, I... I would think it was weird, too, if, like, you know, my girlfriend is talking to some other girl only when I'm not around. But don't you yeah. think that maybe, and again, we're talking about teenagers, but... Yeah, so nothing be, makes sense. But you should be talking about that with your girlfriend. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. tell your girlfriend that it makes you uncomfortable that right, she's spending yeah. this time or yeah, talking with this other girl. And you're going to see a pattern, like, Melinda is always dress, addressing Shanda, not Amanda. And Amanda's her girlfriend. So, continuing on, there are more notes and all of that kind of thing, but all of these interactions between Shanda and Amanda are kept secret from Melinda the best way that they can. And that's when Melinda wrote those notes to Shanda when she found out. And in the fall of that year, Amanda invites Shanda to the school dance because Melinda had intended to stay home. So, sneaky, sneaky. Well, and I saw that Melinda never went to... School yeah, dance. it was like so this was totally normal. Yeah, Melinda normal, was yeah. not going to go. Yeah, Melinda wasn't going to go, so Amanda took that opportunity to ask Shanda, and Shanda accepted the invitation. So Melinda decided to spy on them. So diabolical. <laughs> and this ended up driving Melinda and Amanda apart. And Amanda writes a series of notes to Shanda, telling her that she only wants to be with her. So. Melinda begins dating another girl as well, and that made Amanda jealous. So she ended up flip-flopping and then began writing notes to both Melinda and Shanda, just keeping up this ruse between the both of them, telling Melinda, I only have eyes for you, and telling Shanda, no, I only have eyes for you. And so both girls are kind of, I wouldn't say that they're both completely clueless, but they both have put their trust in Amanda that she's telling them the truth. Obviously misplaced. Yeah, clearly. So... During this time, Shanda's grades start to slip. She begins dressing sloppily. She had a poor attitude, which is obviously not the kind of daughter that Jackie had raised. And Jackie decided that it was time to put a stop to her daughter's friendship with Amanda. And, I mean, obviously, Amanda was a poor influence, and Jackie thought that from the beginning. So, while they weren't allowed to see each other, Shanda took a picture of herself and wrote a note on the back of it addressed it to Amanda, and puts it in the mailbox. Except for she forgot <laughs> one important thing. What's that? The postage stamp. <laughs> so Jackie finds the unmailed note in the mailbox. And I will not read it to you, but the note was sexual in nature. So Jackie and her ex-husband Steve, along with his wife Sharon, all confronted Shanda because that letter obviously alluded to the fact that Shanda and Amanda had actually been like sexually intimate with each other to what extent I'm I'm not sure but that was obvious that was made clear in the in the note on the back of the picture so they all confronted Shanda and Jerry Amanda's father had also been contacted on previous occasions as well as this one to advise him of his daughter's homosexual behavior like you mentioned before and that he needed to keep Amanda away from Shanda 
So Shanda denied the accusations. Like up until the very end, she denied that she and Amanda had ever been intimate with each other. To her parents, at least. She claimed that the note was just a joke, but her mother felt like she knew what was actually going on, and she pulled her from Hazelwood School the very next day after this happened. So I I guess maybe feel the need to just maybe insert a small opinion, and you can let me know. I do feel, I, I just don't want it to feel like it is not lost on me that it was not just that Amanda was a bad influence, but most certainly from both parents that their homosexuality played a part in it, for sure. I think that perhaps her mother didn't want that specific type of influence on her daughter either. And I just, I guess, wanted to make it known that that's not lost on me. I I certainly understand that. I think that that's clear from the interaction because when Jackie talks to Jerry and she's, you know, Mm -hmm. basically saying... Yeah, don't you know your daughter's a lesbian? Right. Yeah. And then Jerry's digging in his heels like, no, I asked her and she said she's not. Yeah. And so you're getting it from both sides. The fact that that would be something you have to bring up, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's like, okay, well, obviously it's not just that you feel she's a bad influence that's making her do the, you know, X, Y, Z. Yeah. Then you're bringing up the sexuality. And then for Jerry to dig his heels in and say, no, 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 there's no way she is. I asked her. She told me she's not. So, I mean, that I think that yeah. shows that that's the attitude from both parents. Yeah, and I, mean, and I mean, I think we can both agree that regardless of the sexual orientation, Jackie certainly had enough reason to stop Shanda from seeing Amanda, even just as friends, because she was a bad influence, and let's just say Amanda was a boy. Obviously, she doesn't want her 12-year-old girl participating in sexual activity at 12 years old. Right. So, for sure, she had a reason. I just don't want... It to feel like we're glossing over those facts that yes, the 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 sexual orientation of this person I think did play a large part in this. Right. And just while we're while we're clarifying a little bit too, because there's also it a lot of this seems to be like, oh, Amanda did this, Amanda did this, Amanda did this, and that's why she's a bad influence. But you know, Shonda is participating in these things too. And so they're you know, she's mm-hmm. being told not to be communicating with Amanda, and then there's this picture with the note yeah. on the back of it, before Stephen and Sharon are aware that Jackie doesn't want Shonda dealing with Amanda anymore, right. Shonda actually takes advantage of the fact that Jackie hadn't communicated that to Stephen right away. And so when she goes to visit Stephen at one point, she actually gets Stephen and Sharon to allow Amanda to go with them to a fall festival when she's visiting over a weekend. Mm-hmm. So Shonda's, Shonda's participating in this too. So I also don't want it to come across as yeah. Amanda's and, terrible, terrible, terrible. And Shonda was this innocent. Yeah. You know, Shonda was, was participating and Shonda yeah. was also, you know, using a little bit of deception. They're teenage yeah. girls and they're in this relationship that they both understand they have to keep secret. Yeah. And they're not necessarily quote unquote bad kids. Because they're doing these things, I think it would be a normal thing if you're in a relationship that your parents don't approve of, you're going to try to hide these things, you're going to have these types of communications. I'm not saying all of this is normal, but they're both playing in, and I I don't want it to seem like we're putting a ton of blame on Amanda... Because we're talking about a twelve-year-old well, girl. Well, that's a keep that in the back of your too. head. Because actually, this point that you're making right now is something that we're most definitely going to bring up again. So keep that in the back of your mind because that's something we're definitely going to have to talk about later. Good. So Shanda has to move schools. Going back to now, her parents have 
Both sets of parents have found out that there's a sexual relationship between Amanda and Shanda. Jackie pulls Shanda out of school and sends her to another school. She hadn't taken well to her new school, therefore still kept, like you mentioned, a secret relationship with Amanda. Again, this is all behind Melinda's back. Well, and this is another Catholic school that she puts her into. Yes, she And does. it was Our Lady of Perpetual Health? I believe so, I think yeah. was the name of it. So, Shanda tells her mother one night that she's going to be spending the night at her cousin's house. But she had arranged a secret meeting with Amanda at another one of Hazelwood's dances. So Amanda is still attending Hazelwood, and Shanda and her cousin were going to go meet Amanda at the Hazelwood dance. Well, before that happens, Melinda finds out. So Mm -hmm. when Shanda and her cousin arrive at this dance, Melinda and Amanda jump out at Shanda in the parking lot and start yelling at her, like completely berating her. And Amanda is participating in this, even though Amanda is the one who asked Shanda to come. So obviously Shanda is heartbroken. She leaves, she's hurt, she's crying. And although Melinda kind of, I guess, won this small battle, if you will, she was still incredibly angry and bitter. So in fact... In the last several months, Melinda on multiple occasions had expressed her hatred of Shanda and her ultimate desire for her to, quote, disappear, uh, quote, die. Those things are said to multiple people on multiple occasions throughout the entire school year. So although she did, and you can see in more notes that are written between Melinda and Shanda, which you can find in those books that I'll tell you about later, Melinda does place blame in Amanda at some point. She does. But the majority of her blame is always placed on Shanda. Always. So, yes, she does fight with Amanda. They do break up and get back together and that kind of thing. But for whatever reason, she focuses the majority of her anger on Shanda. And in late November, Melinda expressed these feelings once more in a letter to Amanda that was found by Amanda's father, Jerry. So, Jerry has already obviously been told that his daughter is a lesbian by Shanda's parents. But still, no, she's not. Told me no. But... The letter that he finds this time from Melinda just sets him over the edge. And Jerry turns this letter into a juvenile probation officer who then subsequently contacts Melinda and tells her that she has to stay away from Amanda or she could face harassment charges. And again, I don't know that he would have done that had it been a boy. Had the letter been from a boy. I don't know. This stuff is getting pretty extreme and pretty out of hand, though. So I don't think that it was exclusively because it was a relationship between these two girls at that time that climate i'm sure that that does i think it certainly plays it. a big part because he's been in denial for a long time i just think that this definitely sent a lot of parents over the edge like that maybe they would have handled things differently but right. in any case so and needless to say this last action enrages Melinda and this is what absolutely sends her over the edge and who does she blame for it Shanda and she's blaming Shanda but Shanda after the incident at the dance yes actually I legit have it in exact after the incident at the dance (laughs) that's that's on my next (laughs) she had completely cut ties with Amanda yeah so she finally begins to pull away it it took the fact that Amanda had to gang up well I mean Amanda completely turned on her well during that incident melinda forces amanda to say that she doesn't like shonda anymore yeah so i mean that's directly said to her while they're berating her with all this other stuff as well although i i don't know is it forced because amanda is so wishy-washy and it just wait a minute a teenage girl is wishy-washy yeah 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 yeah. 
But so, yeah, so, yeah, so Shonda has removed herself from all of this, has cut ties with Amanda at this point, and Melinda is still focusing everything, no accountability for her own actions. Like, mm-hmm. this letter that you wrote had enough yeah. stuff in there that worried her father and an officer enough mm-hmm. that that's what you're told, and you're blaming this 12-year-old well, girl. so at this point, Melinda is 16, and Amanda's only 14, so I think that's probably what warranted the harassment kind of Well, it's of probably thing. part of it, too. But then yeah. again, Shonda is only 12. Yeah, exactly. So you're still blaming this 12-year-old girl who no longer has anything to do with either yeah. of you. Yeah, exactly. So right after the incident at the dance, she finally begins to pull away from Amanda. But unfortunately, it would be too late. Amanda attempted to contact Shanda numerous times. But Constantly. She, yeah. But Shanda, like, phone calls and letters and, like, trying to go through her friends and just, like, wouldn't leave her alone. So Shanda, who had finally warmed up to her new school, didn't answer the calls or the letters. She began to make new friends. She joined the basketball team and even entertained the idea of getting a new boyfriend. Jackie felt like she finally recognized her daughter again and that, you know, things were finally getting back to normal until the night of January 10th, 1992. So before we get into the crime itself, we're going to kind of dive into the perpetrators of this crime, and only one of them you'll recognize at this point, and we're going to introduce three new girls, if you can keep up with. So, so far, we have Shanda, who is 12, and then Melinda, who is currently 16, and then the center of the love triangle, Amanda Heverin, who is 14. Shanda is, of course, our victim. Amanda is not one of the perpetrators of this crime, but we will begin with Melinda Loveless. She was born October 28th of 1975, which puts her at the age of 16 at the time of the crime. She was the youngest of three girls born to Marion and Larry Loveless. According to the Johnson family attorney, this is all part of a book, but this is his telling of it, that he, Larry, had worked as a trucker, a postal worker. He was a police officer who actually ended up being canned from his job because he had, uh, I guess, beat a man that he thought was hitting on his wife, if that kind of gives you any indication of what type of person he is. <laughs> and I'm seeing a pattern yeah, with the family members here. Yeah. So Larry was a Vietnam veteran, and he had taken up drinking as well. Michelle, who was the oldest of the three daughters, recalls what their father was like. And this is not going to be fun to listen to. Well, and just real quick. So he was drafted into Vietnam. So it wasn't voluntary service. Right. Well, He's, I think everybody was like drafted. Well, into I mean, you had some people, at least. At the I mean, at this I point, think, people, and when you're talking about the world wars in Vietnam, they either were drafted or were going to be and went, might as well go. Right. So he's drafted yeah. into the Vietnam War. And he's actually, when he first comes home from that, treated as a hero. Like he's yeah, just lauded yeah. by the community when he comes home. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, until Which he sets up a contradiction to the way everybody close was. to him right. describes him. Right. So Michelle, the older sister, she's the one who kind of goes through all of the details of this case. And he would watch his daughters shower, urinate, or change clothes. He would wear their clothes, underwear, their makeup, their perfume. And he also made them sleep with him either in his bed or he would sleep with them in their beds. And he molested all of his children. Now, Melinda has never confirmed that. Yes, we'll get so, to that right. piece. Yeah, so the other sure. two daughters have said, yeah, that happened. This is coming directly from Michelle, the oldest daughter. This is her recollection. Margie, the wife, 
was forced to have threesomes and participate in sex acts with Larry's friends and random acquaintances. And the girls were never protected from this. They were just allowed to watch or made to watch. So this isn't something that was kept secret. This is something that all three daughters bore witness to. Right. And so the Melinda's mother describes the father as a pervert was basically just her yeah. one word description of him. Yep. And she said that he had a fetish for watching her with these other men, but would also like fly jealous, into yeah. jealous rages over it. Well, clearly the man that he beat up. Right. When he was a police officer because he thought that he was flirting with his wife. Mm-hmm. Or that she was flirting with him. Either way, it wouldn't matter. So Margie had attempted suicide twice. First, she had taken sleeping pills in their basement. She was found with photos of her children all around. And the second time was after Larry had finally left the family home, which we'll get to. But going back, Michelle is not 100% certain of the abuse done to Melinda by her father but did note that he, in fact, did sleep in her bed at night. So he would go into not his wife, you know, he and his wife's bed, but would spend most evenings in Amanda's bedroom and shut and lock the door and sleep with Melinda until she was like 14. Right. Yeah, so... And so the uh, and you mentioned the mother's suicide attempts, and that first one when she took the sleeping pills mm-hmm. was after he had forced her to participate in an orgy. Yeah. So just, I mean, just so that you can understand all of these right. sordid details of the sex life that they had. Mm-hmm. And this was all, again, completely out in the open in front of their children. So on one occasion, after claiming to have found religion, Larry took Melinda to an exorcist at a motel, and he left her there with this unknown exorcist man. Older man. Yeah, just... Five hours at the motel for the exorcism. Yeah. I mean, I... I he always put Melinda on a pedestal, and he he always considered her the favorite. But if he's willing to force his wife to do things, I couldn't imagine what he would force his daughter to do. So I'll leave it at that. Um, well, and just for context, too, they were involved with this church, but it was only for like two years. So mm-hmm. in the two-year time span, he sets up this exercise. So he really... I mean, Mm -hmm. even if this were right at the end of that, he still wouldn't know these people well enough to throw your daughter in a motel room with an older man for five hours. Not that that should ever be appropriate, but just for context, that they were only involved in the church for two years, and this happens in that time span. And it's not the only time where there's some suspicious behavior there, because he was served as a marriage counselor while they were involved in the church. (laughs) Yeah. And... Attempted to assault one of the women from the church. Yeah, that he was. That count- I think position. that one girl that he was counseling. Right. Yeah. I mean, although I would certainly be seeking him out for marriage counseling. Right. Yeah, that yeah. would be my first first contact for yeah. that. Yeah. To tell me how to run my marriage. So, the final act, basically, before this whole family fell apart, was that Larry takes Melinda at this time thirteen and a cousin to the local pool, and the cousin then reports to Larry's wife, Margie, that Larry had been watching them shower and poking them with a cane. So basically, he, like, stole their clothing so they'd be forced to run out of the shower naked. But while they're showering, he's, like, poking at them with some sort of stick or cane. And when Margie hears this, she flies into a rage, and she chases him with a knife. She does end up cutting him, I think, on his hand. And the police arrive, and they arrest Larry, which, I mean... 
they should have. And that fuels Margie's second suicide attempt. And after Larry leaves, Melinda completely withdrew from her family. And that's kind of getting into the part where later, later on, Melinda finally starts to open up a little bit about her father and kind of starts to admit to herself that this happened. But during her teenage years, and certainly throughout the investigation after the crime, she absolutely denies that her father did anything to her. Mm -hmm. And she absolutely adored him. I mean, one, which is sad. But so after, you know, he left, she lost basically her favorite parent. And she was said to have had a, quote, a relationship that was more husband and wife than father and daughter. It's even said that she was drawn to Amanda to begin with because Amanda resembled her father in appearance. So, and we haven't described really how Amanda looked, but she was very boyish. Yeah, she was um, described as a tomboy, yeah. baggy clothes, baseball Short caps. hair, played at the time, I guess, you know, male sports kind of thing. Right, and yeah, so she she feels that Amanda resembles her father, and then she's able to get affection from Amanda that then fills right. the void that's been left because the father right, has yeah. abandoned the family. So, in addition to the abuse against his wife and children, it's later revealed that he also abused his two nieces. At some point in 1990, Melinda and her mother were seeing a therapist, but Melinda either couldn't admit or denied the abuse allegations against her father, like I said. She said it was like a dream and not reality, and I feel like that's probably accurate with how maybe a lot of children in her situation may view that kind Absolutely. of thing. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, she did, however, admit to the pool incident, but mm -hmm. she didn't take that as sexual abuse. Well, I mean, you've been groomed. Yeah, you've, exactly. You've grown up with this man doing these things she, your entire oh, yeah, life. Like, when her dad would come down when her friends were all around and he's smelling their underwear, which was a common occurrence, she would just say, oh, dad, you're so perverted, or this or that, or like, oh, he's just joking around. And clearly, to anyone else, we know that, that no, that's not a joke. You don't smell your daughter's underwear. But, you know, this is how she grew up, so... Just real quick, too. I mean, just as if there hasn't been enough already to kind of paint a picture of this man. And maybe you didn't mention these because it's a little bit more graphic. But there, so there, there is at one point, Melinda's father has the mother gang raped. Yes. I so, believe that might be the orgy you were referring to earlier. I, I found them as two separate things. So yeah. it's very possible that they are. But either way. So and then there's also an allegation. And this is not... I don't believe that it's been confirmed by the girls. I think it was from other people mm -hmm. around the family that the mother at one point just refused sex for like a month. I mean, they had such a healthy relationship. Why on earth oh, would she I mean, do that? Yeah. But so then he rapes her because she's refusing sex and all three of the girls were oh, present. Oh, watching. Yes. So there's, yeah. there's some conflicting whether they were actually watching if it's happening right in front of them or if they're hearing it through a door but either way they're present they're aware of what's happening well apparently it was not uncommon for him to have his way with her in the bathroom or a living room where wherever he want wherever right. whenever he wanted to regardless of who was present and uh, in fact i mean i would i would go as far as to say that it it probably fueled his deviant thoughts and things to have his daughters there that yeah. probably was part of it so and yeah. then there's also you know at one point he is convicted of battery 
for beating their mother because she Mm -hmm. wouldn't allow him to go home with some other women when they had been out. There's also allegations that he tied up all three of the girls and raped them one at a time while they're all still in the same room. The girls have not confirmed that. I think it was a a cousin. Yeah, well, because Michelle... Michelle, the older sister, who was the one who gave the majority of these accounts on their father, could not say for certain that he had, in fact, actually raped Melinda. It is assumed because of his behavior, closing the door and all of that kind of thing. So that particular story, I would most definitely say, is just speculation. Right, and just to be clear, the girls have not confirmed that. Yeah, because I feel like Michelle was obviously very open in all of this. Oh, and also... She became a psychologist or a, a psychiatrist. So, yeah, I, I would think that if that were true, then she certainly would have disclosed it. It, it could be, though. Who knows? Right. It was, it was out there. Someone I mean, it certainly with the fits his. Uh, that's, you know. It's certainly not out of the question no. based on all of the stuff that <laughs> it's is. It's not unbelievable. Confirmed. No. And then, you know, there's also, as the girls are growing up, neighbors are like calling and making reports, giving statements about the girls looking unwashed and malnourished. So mm-hmm. there's other, you know, there's other concerns too. So there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of sexual abuse and sexual violence going on, but then there's also just neglect, you yeah. know, like the welfare of these children is oh, yeah. being noticed by neighbors to the point where they're having to call and make reports. Mm-hmm. And so after Larry leaves and Melinda just goes into this downward spiral, he did send letters at some point and his final one being that he remarried. Who the hell would marry him? Whatever. He remarries and basically says, farewell, this is my new wife and I'm done with you and stops writing to Melinda, which sends her even further down. And she begins kind of becoming a little promiscuous. And she says that her like first encounter with a boy ended poorly. And I did actually research that a little more. Apparently after her first sexual encounter, the boy hit her. So, I mean, you know, although I, I feel like with a father like that, she may have even thought it was normal. But she then kind of switches. Now, she did continue to sleep with and be with boys, but she also started to look more into females. And then meeting Amanda certainly sparked something in her. She already wanted to be with a female and felt that she would find a better connection with and also more physical satisfaction with a woman since her reaction with men had been so terrible. And Amanda really fit this mold that she wanted because she reminded her of her father but was also female. Right, and I had found this description where, you know, she said that she swore off boys because of Mm -hmm. unfulfilling sexual experiences, which at that age, Mm -hmm. to even be able to to talk about an unfulfilling... Like, you shouldn't be familiar enough with it at that Yeah, exactly. And all of the people, like her friends and things and people she went to school with, all say how completely outspoken about sex that she was. And she had no problem. So clearly this is something that was made to be normal in her life. And I also saw several mentions, just because it kind of tangentially relates, but they were mentioning it constantly that both of the older sisters, because we've talked about all three daughters, mm -hmm. but both of the older sisters were lesbians. Yeah. And so that's mentioned a lot. How relevant is that? I don't really know. Yeah, I I kind of maybe almost think that it could also be a little more comforting to her that she had two sisters that were also like that, that she could relate with maybe. But Melinda doesn't really come out, Mm -hmm. you know, to her parents until her mother sees a hickey on her neck. 
Yeah. And I think that that's with, you know, while she's with Amanda, Mm -hmm. that she finally then comes out to her mother. Yeah. And I think it's, well, maybe I'll say this bit for, I'll say this for later. Remind me. (laughs) Oh, I don't know what the bit's about, but. Yeah. So, so that's pretty much Melinda's story. Although one tidbit I, I should add in is that when she ended up being with Amanda for the first time, she had instances where she forced herself on Amanda. And Amanda was two years younger than her. Mm-hmm. And at first it was very loving and da 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 But then she became increasingly dissatisfied or whenever she would have kind of tantrums or she would become anxious because her mother remarried and Melinda never took to this man, even though he was by all accounts normal and, you know, never did anything, you know, that her father had done to right. her. But would take out the anger that she felt toward her mother and this new stepfather figure, take it out on Amanda and would punish her sexually. So that's a whole other piece of this puzzle, you know, as far as like how Amanda treated Shanda, I think. Sure. So, I mean, because I think Melinda's acting this way because that's how she was treated, passes it on to Amanda, who then passes it on to Shanda. Yeah. So just a, another tidbit of information that I felt was pertinent. Yeah. All of which will come into play when we're talking about oh, yeah. Yeah, when so, we get to our debate portion. Yeah. Of this episode. Well, then I guess we should probably move on because we still have so much more to cover. So the second person who you guys have not been introduced yet is a girl by the name of Lori Tackett. She was born also in October, October 5th of 1974, which would put her at the age of 17 at the crime. So Lori had befriended two brothers, Terry and Larry Leatherberry. They're not like characters in a children's novel that's their names (laughs) terry and larry leatherberry so they were considered odd or strange in their town they wore and by odd i mean they wore all black they played dungeons and dragons you know odd (laughs) (laughs) i'm looking at that and i'm like well that's certainly me (laughs) (laughs) i'm in all black right now as we speak And right next to me is all of the Dungeons and Dragons stuff I just bought this weekend. You were very upset when your Dungeons and Dragons people canceled on you. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, hey guys, if you're listening, what's with that? (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, because they played Dungeons and Dragons and wore black clothing, they were certainly odd. But they were also into the occult. So, Lori's mother, Peggy, was a kind of like a Margaret White type is how I would say. And Margaret White, if you don't know, is the mother in Stephen King's novel, Carrie. So like religious, not in a good way. Yeah, she was a fundamentalist Pentecostal Christian. Yeah, so she wouldn't... And if you need two descriptors before the word Christian to describe your faith, then that tells you, you that tells you the extent. Yeah, so she wouldn't allow her children to watch TV or listen to non-gospel music. And she went as far as to have Lori humiliated in church for her newfound bisexuality. So she was not a fan of the fact that she was hanging out with the the Terry and Larry Leatherberry kids and that she had some bisexual tendencies, I suppose. On one occasion, she caught Lori wearing jeans, which she often did in secret at school. She'd like walk out of the house in skirts and then like change into jeans when she got there. Mm -hmm. And so her mother tried to strangle her. Yeah. I mean, mean, how else would you react to that? (laughs) Exactly. What? (laughs) Wearing those Jenko jeans again. (laughs) Hanging out with those D&D boys and listening to your rock and roll. Yeah. So yeah, she's got these weird friends that play Dungeons and Dragons and she might, you know, kiss girls every once in a while and the kicker is she wears jeans. Better kill her. Because... <laughs> That's what pushes you over the yeah. edge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so social services become involved at this point and 
the family agrees to have unannounced visits with them. So after this, Lori rebels even more. She cuts her hair super short. She starts wearing dark clothing and practicing the occult with her friends, the Leatherberries. And unfortunately, she starts self-harming. And the Leatherberries have dubbed this blood art. They, like, carve things into their arms. Like, their names. And, and stuff like that. It's blood art. She also engaged in a lot of sex with males and females. And she used a lot of drugs. And then most odd is that she also pretended to be possessed by a vampire. Deanna the vampire. Yeah, the vampirist, I guess. Yeah, then she had created this persona and yeah. saying that she was being possessed by this spirit. And mm-hmm. that was what she did to impress these friends. Right, which eventually became too strange even for the very odd Leatherberries. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so she eventually was checked into a rehab center by her parents after having, like, heavy hallucinations and her self-mutilation had been discovered. And she had started the self-harm right around 1990 with a a girl that she was dating also self-harmed. Yes, yeah. Two days after she had been released from this rehab center. After being prescribed an antipsychotic. Right. So this was not... Like, there's some serious issues here, too. Yeah. We don't want to gloss over, like, there were serious mental health issues Oh, yeah. They didn't just were like, oh, no, you're fine. Leave, please. No, they definitely prescribed her something. And two days after she was released, in March of 91, she was with friends and she cut herself too deep. She had to be taken to the hospital and wasn't discharged until a month later. And she's cutting herself. It's at her wrist. I mean, she cut herself so yeah. deeply at her wrist, she had to be rushed yeah. to the hospital. Although, I think it's safe to say that through the research I've done, that this was actually not a suicide attempt. This was just their way of coping. They're like group of right. friends. They did it, and they say that they did it to release tension. Which, I mean, she probably had a lot of it, like the way we were describing her mother. I mean, her mother tried to strangle her for wearing jeans. So, I could only imagine. But yeah, that's how they did things to relieve tension. And also, she was showy. She was very dramatic and, you know, wanted to be the center of attention and wanted to be weird. And, you know, cutting herself in front of her friends like this was definitely her way of, you know, getting, you know, attaining that kind of vibe she wanted to give off, I guess. Right. So during her stay this time and her subsequent psych eval, she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder Mm -hmm. and was prescribed more antidepressants. After this, she dropped out of school. She moved around until she finally decided to go back home. And she was given a car by her father to start a new job. So through a mutual relationship with the Leatherberry twins and another girl, Carrie, Lori was introduced to Melinda at a popular gay hangout dubbed, this is dubbed by the people who hang out there, Fag Hill. And this is where teens would, quote, do drugs and have sex in the bushes. So this was a very popular, like, homosexual hangout where they felt that they could be comfortable right and i feel like you know the the name obviously i feel like the name is a big old middle finger to the people who are making it to where they have to have a secret hideout right because yeah in that kind of climate that they're forced to do this type of thing and i think you know it's the same you try to take ownership of a term that's being used against you I yeah. think, yeah, I think the name is perfect. Stick I it to I did him. not put the name in my notes because I, I would have been very uncomfortable saying it, so. Yeah, this is, this is not something we dubbed this place, but I felt like it's a part of it. It's a part of it, and it's a part of who they are, and the fact that they had to go into the middle of the woods to this place to hang out just to be 
and feel normal. Right. You know, I, I feel like that's important. But this is where she met Melinda. In addition to all of this, eventually, Lori does admit that at some point in her life, she was molested at least twice. Yeah, and I, I think what I saw was that she claims it happens when she's five years old and when she's 12 years old. So, yeah, something like that, yeah, on two separate occasions. So now we're to the point where she does meet Melinda, and I'll stop Lori Tackett's story there. So now we've been introduced to her. Yeah, and when she meets Melinda, they're like very fast friends, and then they just start spending a ton of time together. Yeah. It happens really quickly. So moving on to Hope Rippy is the third person. She was born June 9th of 1976, which would put her age 15 at the time of the crime. Hope was one of the very few people that accepted Lori for who she was. They had a completely platonic, non-romantic, almost sisterly relationship. And... Her parents had divorced and then reconciled as well, but there were still lasting effects. When they had divorced before getting together, it caused a lot of problems between her two brothers. And as it does with a lot of young kids when your parents divorce, there's a lot of... They deal with it by rebelling and doing things, and the two boys would constantly be in physical altercations. And Hope inserted herself into those altercations to try to separate her brothers. Um, So she dealt with a lot. There was a lot of emotional turmoil in her family as a result of the divorce, and that carried on even after the parents got back together. However, she was typically described as a quiet and timid child. So she was very talented, specifically with music and athletics. But she kind of began to drift into a more alternative lifestyle, is what they refer to it as, where she befriended Lori. Hope's parents definitely didn't like this because Lori was, again, odd. You know, she wore black and jeans, you know? How dare she? Yeah. Yeah. So... She didn't like the friendship. She tried to push her toward kids that they felt would be a better influence, like Tony Lawrence, which now brings us into our fourth and final perpetrator, Tony Lawrence. And to be clear, so when they were, when Hope is a child, she is friends with Lori and Tony. So these are both friends from her childhood. Uh, Lori is a friend later. Like, it's still in school. But later on. Right, because then, then when the parents divorce, she moves with her mother to Michigan for three years, and then they come back when the parents reconcile. Right, And yeah. then she reconnects with both of these girls, uh, right, right. Lori and Tony. Yeah, now Tony is the closer friend. And Tony Lawrence was born February 14th, 1976, Valentine's Day, which puts her at age 15 as well at the time of the crime. She was the baby of the family. as She was the youngest of four children, the three oldest of which were adults with their own families already. She was friends with Hope Rippey since kindergarten, and their parents were quoted on calling them, you know, like their own daughter. Both of their fathers said, you know, oh, Hope was like my own kid, and, you know, Tony's father said the same thing, or vice versa. Tony was an average girl, though. She was, she got average grades. She was noted, however, to be, like, high maintenance. She made her mom drive her to school. She didn't participate in class. She felt like she didn't have to. She did, however, like have many friends but average but she had a lot of friends she was into poetry reading drawing honestly nothing like she didn't have anything too terribly going on for her that is until she was raped by a classmate i suppose i believe it was a classmate yeah it was well because she's 14 at the time and basically i couldn't find a ton of information but it says that it was by a teenager 
mm-hmm. and you know a lot of the context was, makes yeah. it seem that it was a classmate yeah, so it's classmate, probably somebody yeah. that she knew in in some way shape or form yeah because she is a young teenager at yeah, the time this, and it's this, fun, this done took place in yeah 1990 now this boy after he'd completed his assault threatened her to keep quiet and she did she finally vented though in a letter to a friend that i honestly don't think that she sent i don't even know if she intended to send it but her parents intercepted it and they attempted to press charges against the boy but all the police and i put here could or would because i didn't look really into this much further but all they did was issue a no contact or restraining order of some kind that said that the boy was not allowed within was it five feet of her They were classmates, so they probably couldn't ban him from going to school. But at the same time, and I put could or would because was it all they could do or was it all they were willing to do? I'm well, unsure. you also have to remember, you know, when there's when there's time between the commission of a crime and the crime being reported, that also can in some instances, limit what they're able to do. Yeah. Well, I also I wonder want... if the age affects it as well, because he was, I believe, the same age. Right. I don't want to put all of the blame on law enforcement and say that they just refuse to do anything else, but yeah, I also don't I want to put know. them completely in the clear, because maybe this is all they were willing to do at the time. Mm-hmm. Or, we... or maybe they didn't have enough. Yeah, who, who, who's to say? But either way, she was still subjected to being around him. Right. And... Her parents did try to bring her to a counseling facility to deal with it. But after just one session, Tony refused to go back. Mm -hmm. And even more unfortunate were the taunts and ridicule from her classmates. So even though Tony is the one that's been assaulted, she was the one being labeled as promiscuous. Mm -hmm. So she was raped and then called a slut. Victim blaming. I mean... I mean, it still happens today. It's disgusting. And it's way too common. Yeah, they pretty much, yeah, blame. So I'm not for giving the '90s a pass for that no, as a culture because it, it's disgusting and it still happens. Exactly. So, and many people took this boy's side. So I really couldn't even imagine what that felt like for her. But Tony soon spiraled out of control, and in order to deal with the rumors of her being promiscuous, became promiscuous. So she found herself with multiple sex partners. She began partying, smoking, drinking at just 14, mind you. So it was later revealed that the boy's assault may not have actually been her first one. So as she was, I mean, she was alleged to have been abused by a family member at nine years old. Right. So, but that I wasn't able to confirm, but it is alleged that she may have been assaulted more than once. Right. Not by the same person. No, this is, but yeah, yeah, family member when she's nine years old, and that's five years before this mm-hmm. this rape that happens. And, and yeah. I did find some information that, you know, after the abuse by the family member, she had started self-harm. I couldn't find a ton on oh, it. Oh, yeah, I have that But here. I did see yeah. it mentioned. Unfortunately, yeah, she began self-harming. She was introduced to Lori Tackett through Hope and ended up joining the group with the Leatherberries and all of that, and they began, like, the blood art. Mm-hmm. And Tony was present when Lori was hospitalized. When Lori had that incident where she cut herself too deep, Tony was there and she is the one who called the police or the paramedics to come and get her. So this is all kind of intertwined, all friends. So now that we've been introduced to the four girls, I'm going to go ahead and say all of the girls' names one more time so everyone understands who they are. Shanda Scherer, 12 years old, on the night of, this is all on the night of January 10th, their ages so everyone can keep that in mind right. shanda Sharer is 12 years old she is the victim amanda heaven is 14 she does not participate in the crime but she is the catalyst yes the reason that this is happening she is the center of the love triangle between our next <clears throat> person who is the perpetrator melinda loveless who was 16 at the time of the crime her friend 
Lori Tackett, who was 17 at the time of the crime, and Lori's two friends, Hope Rippey and Tony Lawrence, who are both, I believe, did 15. we say 15? Mm-hmm. 15 at the time of the crime. So that leads us right into January 10th, and I'm going to go ahead and pass the case along to you. Although, I guess, now is the time for our second warning? Yeah, I mean, in case it hasn't become clear that we're very serious about how dark this gets and the violence that's involved. I mean, Mm -hmm. just the backgrounds on the four girls that we just gave. There's so much stuff in there that could be really disturbing, could be very triggering for people. And now we're going to get to the actual night of this crime, which I told you right at the top is a torture and murder. Absolutely. If... If you're not already disturbed by these girls' backgrounds and what their parents and other people have done to them, you're about to be. So, just a fair warning. You can skip this part if you'd like. However, it is crucial to hear... I guess the best way to say it is that we're not trying to give all of these details for show or to be shocking. You have to know these things to understand what happens to these girls later and whether or not we or you as a listener feels that justice was served. So, I guess... So, here we go. Go ahead. So, we're on January 10th, 1992. And so, when we we get to this point, Tony has never met Melinda. Hope had only ever met Melinda once, because we have these mutual, you know, the mutual friend in Lori. So, Tony, Hope, and Lori take Lori's car and go to Melinda's house. Right. At Melinda's house, they borrow clothes from Melinda, and then Melinda shows them a knife that she intends to use to scare... Shonda. Mm-hmm. At this point, only Lori had known yeah. that there was a plan for something to happen. Now, I'd heard, though, so I don't know if you read this, before they had reached Melinda's house, I heard that when Lori picks them up, she turns, because she picked up Hope and Tony together. Hope and Tony were together when Lori picked them mm-hmm. up. And Lori turns to Hope and says, have you told her yet? Which begs the question... Did, did Hope already know something? Yeah. And... Did they tell Tony? Because that line kind of cuts off. So I, I don't know how much Hope and Tony knew before they arrived at Melinda's. The only thing that we know for sure is that Lori knew Lori that knew. there was a plan yes. for something. Yeah. So Melinda describes Shonda to the girls and she calls her a quote copycat, which just kind of puts you right back into how old these girls are. And she complains about Shonda stealing her girlfriend, obviously referencing Amanda. Mm-hmm. So then they they all get in the car and Hope drives to Shonda's father's house where Shonda would stay on the weekends. Right, yep. On the way there, they stop at a McDonald's to get directions and they wind up arriving at Stephen's house just before sunset. Right. So Melinda sends Hope and Tony to the door to pose as friends of Amanda and tell Shonda that they're going to go meet Amanda at the witch's castle. And so this is an old, isolated, run-down stone house that's overlooking the Ohio River. There's like a whole bunch of legend and folklore and rumors about this place locally. The legend had it that it used to be owned by nine witches and was burned down by the townspeople at that time so right. that they would leave. But none of that is true. Right. But that's It's the... literally just a pile of rubble where right. probably <laughs> hunters or something of the like... Yeah. But this is the folklore to it. Right. Anyway, so... Lori definitely believed it, or at least pretended to. Right. So Shonda can't leave when they get there because Stephen and Sharon are still awake. Mm -hmm. But she tells them to come back at midnight. Right. To pick her up. So they leave, and they go to a concert 
It's a punk rock band called yeah. Sunspring. Mm-hmm. Never and, heard and, of them. Yeah, during this time, though, like, Melinda's, like, furious that her plan didn't work. Right. Yeah, so they're all like, just chill, dude. We'll come back. Let's go to this concert. And so while they're at this concert, Tony they're and Hope... slam dancing. That's I just... <laughs> it's literally described as slam dancing. So I think they mean, like, like moshing, I guess. Like, the, yeah, maybe? I've yeah, never heard it, the term it, slam dancing. It says, though, that... <laughs> Tony and Hope were tired of slam dancing. So I just thought okay. that in there. So they get tired of slam dancing. Yeah. And out in the parking lot, they meet these two boys. Mm-hmm. And they have some type of a tryst. Yes, it's I, described yeah. as hooking up. Then there's mention that they're just making out. I don't know exactly what the extent is. Yeah, some of sort of underlying happens. sexual encounter is there. And I guess like... It's described in the book that it was an encounter that Tony felt comfortable enough to just blurt out, hey, by the way, we came here with these people tonight and they're going to kill someone. (laughs) Yeah. So then they're riding back to go pick Shonda up. And on the ride back, Melinda is talking about how she can't wait to kill Shonda. Yeah. But then she keeps repeating, oh, well, I just want to, I only want to scare her. Mm -hmm. When she also keeps saying that Shonda's super attractive and that she'd also maybe like to to be with her intimately so so they get back to steven's house at twelve thirty. tony will not go to the door won't go get shonda so mm-hmm. hope and Lori go and melinda hides under a blanket in the back seat holding this knife that she'd already shown them back at her house right so shonda Changes her clothes and then leaves with them, even though she's kind of reluctant to do it. Right, and because Amanda already, wasn't there. Right, and we've already talked about the fact that she had kind of cut ties with Amanda at this point. Yeah. So she's not, you know, going to be so gung-ho and just... Yeah, she asks, like, well, then where's Amanda? And they're just kind of like, well, she's not here. She's waiting for you at the witch's yeah, house. Yeah, so She has something there. important to tell you. And it's just like, I don't know, if I were 12 and, you know, someone had something important to tell me, I needed to know what yeah. that important thing was and so, even though she has been very mature and is still having like a sexual relationship she's still she's still 12 she's 12 years old yeah so they they all head to the car hope is asking shonda about amanda and their the relationship between the two and then all of a sudden melinda jumps out from under this blanket and she holds the knife to shonda's throat and demands answers about any type of sexual relationship mm-hmm. that shonda had or is having with Amanda. So they and take And she doesn't lie. Right. So they take Shonda to the witch's castle and they bind her at the wrists and ankles with some rope. And then they very intentionally and particularly remove all of Shonda's jewelry. And then Lori tells Shonda that she's just going to be the next in the line of human remains that are believed to be mm-hmm. there at that house. Yeah, and they're all, like, taunting her and putting on her jewelry. And she has, like, a Mickey Mouse watch that Hope puts on. And, like, oh, isn't this funny? And, like, yeah. So then Lori lights a shirt on fire. And then suddenly after that happens, all of the girls start to get worried that someone who was driving by might have seen them. And so they leave really quickly. They take Shonda back to the car and they head back out. While they're in the car, Shonda is begging these girls mm-hmm. to just bring her back home. So they well, they wind up having to stop for gas. Yeah. And so they cover Shonda with a blanket. The funny thing about that is that they didn't know where to go. 
like right. where a gas station was, and Shanda tells them. Oh. The gas station is over here, but it was near to her father's house, and Lori caught on. That's okay. why they covered her with the blanket, because they didn't want her to be recognized. Right. Okay, yeah. so so they cover her with the blanket while they're at the gas station. Tony and Hope see some boys mm-hmm. out in the parking lot at the gas station, and so they start talking to them. Mm-hmm. So they get the gas, and then they leave. And mm-hmm. they start driving again, and they get lost. And so they stop at a second gas station, so that Lori can get directions now. Mm-hmm. While they're at this gas station, Tony calls a boy that she knows and she's talking to him because she's very anxious about all this stuff that's going on. Yeah, not a police officer or anything. Right, but just calls this boy. And so she's super anxious about everything going on. She's calling him to kind of ease her anxiety. Doesn't make any mention of what they're doing. They leave that gas station and drive to the edge of the woods near Lori's house now. Mm-hmm. During this drive, there was a note made that the girls became, like, frightened of Lori because she had this, quote, devil laugh. And Lori was always said to really have no emotion whatsoever. And all of a sudden, now she's just lit up with emotion. And she's excited and terrifying. So Lori takes them to a dump that's off of this logging road. And so... They park the car. All of the girls take Shonda out of the car. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Tony asks Melinda if they can take Shonda back home. Yeah, Tony hugs Shanda. And Shanda says, please don't hurt me. Which prompts her to ask Melinda. Right. Yeah. And Melinda flies off the handle. So she's yeah. yelling at her, obviously refusing. They're not going to take her back home. And so at this point, Tony and Hope are scared mm-hmm. of the way that all of this is happening and the way that Melinda's acting. So they get back in the car. Yeah, this isn't what they signed up for. Right. So then Melinda and Lori have Shonda stripped naked. Mm-hmm. And then Melinda gathers up all of the clothes that they've had Shonda take off and she makes some reference to them being like souvenirs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she takes them back to the car. Yeah. And... Then she grabs uh, a t-shirt that she's going to bring back to Shonda. Mm -hmm. Once the clothes are dropped off at the car, Hope puts on Shonda's bra. As you do. And this is mentioned, you know, everywhere when when you're Mm -hmm. looking into this. I don't understand the thought process. I don't know if that's what appealed to her. She just thought it was really cute? Like, I don't... Yes. I don't know. It's brought up up in every account that you see. Mm -hmm. And I really just don't understand what is going on in your mind if you're so scared and you're seemingly starting to show some hesitance to be involved in this and then you're putting on this girl's clothes after they've forced her to strip naked it just I don't, it just doesn't connect with me but so melinda brings back this t-shirt that she gets from the car and has shonda put that on mm-hmm. or puts it on her because she's still bound at this point yeah, yeah so yeah. she puts the shirt onto shonda and then melinda just starts wailing on her yeah, just Lori holds her, her repeatedly. Yeah, Lori like comes behind her and like holds her arms so that way Shanna can't defend herself at all. Right, just leaves her completely open. So she's just being pummeled, and then Melinda takes Shonda's face and slams it into her knee. Yeah, repeatedly. Times. Yeah, yeah, and so hard that they actually cut Shonda's face on her braces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her mouth is, like, bleeding profusely now at this point. And so then, at this point, Melinda tries to slit Shonda's throat. But the knife is too dull. Yeah, so they, like, throw her 
on the ground and Melinda takes the knife and puts her foot on top of it to try to push the knife into Shanda's throat. Right, like places the knife back against Shanda's throat and then she's stepping on it trying to force this to happen. So then Hope comes out of the car and now she holds Shanda down. Yeah. While Lori and Melinda hand the knife back and forth Mm -hmm. and just take turns stabbing Shanda in the chest Yeah. before they strangle her with this rope until she passes out. Yeah. And then like... Tony, of course, thinks like, oh, Hope is going to go stop this. Right. But she doesn't. And then when she gets back in the car, Tony's like, why are you helping them? And Hope doesn't respond. Right. So now Shonda has passed out. The three of them, Lori, Melinda, Hope, get Shonda in the trunk. Mm -hmm. They throw her in the trunk. And when they get in the car, Tony is told that Shonda's dead. By Melinda, yeah, I think, right? Uh, Yeah, I think so. So then they drive... To Lori's house. Shonda's still in the trunk of this car. And they clean themselves up. Mm -hmm. And so then while they're in the house, they hear the dog barking. And they can hear muffled screams from Mm -hmm. Shonda in the trunk of the car. So Lori tells the other three girls, I'll take care of it. Yeah. And she goes and grabs a knife from the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Not this dull one that they've already been using. It was a paring knife. So... When she comes back, she's covered in blood. Yeah, and there's no more sounds anymore. Right, they're not hearing Shonda anymore, dog's not barking anymore, and Lori is covered in blood. Yeah. So then... She pulls out her good old rune stones. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) And lays them out on the bed and says, everything's going to be all right. Yeah, and... Yeah, I... (sighs) Surprise. Things are not (laughs) going to be all right for any of them. So... So Lori and Melinda want to go back out to the car. They want to go for some more driving yeah. while they've got Shonda in the trunk. The other two girls refuse. They're not going to go. Mm-hmm. They don't want anything more to do with this mm-hmm. at this point. So Lori and Melinda... Right. But so Lori and Melinda leave and they drive around again. They're gone for several hours. Yeah, I think they leave at like around 2.30. They've right. already been gone at this point for two and a half hours. So... While they're driving around, any time Shonda makes any type of a sound, whether it's her screaming, calling for help, if she's kicking Mm -hmm. inside the trunk, they pull the car over, go back to the trunk, and they beat her while she's still in the trunk of this car. The first time that they go and do this, Lori beats Shonda with a tire iron. Yeah. And she describes the sensation of Shonda's head caving in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when she gets back in the car with the tire iron, asks Melinda to smell the blood. Yeah. And on then the Melinda's like, iron. that's gross. As if right. what they... No, that's where she draws the line. Yeah. But so Melinda does refuse. They describe it as j- that Shonda just wouldn't die. Mm-hmm. At one point during one of these beatings, Shonda says, Mommy... Yeah, they, like, go out to the trunk, and Shanda, like, sits up and calls for her mother. They, at another point, take her to a bridge Mm -hmm. that they want to throw her off of. Mm. And they get spooked by headlights. Yeah. So they close the trunk back up, jump back in the car, and take off. The last time that they go back to the trunk, Shanda is basically just gurgling. Yeah, and completely incoherent. She can't form words... There's no coherent thoughts being shared. 
just gurg- I mean, gasping for breath. I'm surprised that she can still even do that. Desperately to I mean, stay alive. Yeah. And they can barely make out that she says Melinda. Right. And then they shut her back in the trunk again. And then they go back to Lori's house. And they get back there just before sunrise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they had left at like 2.30 in the morning. This is just before sunrise. So that's yeah. another three hours-ish. Mm, maybe even more than that. Right. Yeah, depending on what time of year it is and all of that. So... They they tortured her for a total like over eight hours. Right. Over eight hours they beat this girl. So, so they get back just before sunrise. And they are describing everything that's just happened mm-hmm. to Tony and Hope right. that had stayed back at the house. And... Lori is just laughing wildly while they're telling this story. And it actually gets so loud that she wakes up her mother. Mm -hmm. And so Lori's mother gets angry that Lori's been out so late and that she brought these other girls to the house. So Lori says that she'll take them home, that they're going to leave. She'll take them home. Yeah. That they're going to go for breakfast. Instead, they drive to a burn pile Mm -hmm. and... Once they park the car, they open up the trunk and they just stand there staring at Shonda lying in the trunk. Now, Tony does not do this. Tony stays in the car. Mm -hmm. But you have Lori, Hope, and Melinda. Yeah, like Lori asks them if they want to see... Oh, before they leave the house, I think we forgot about Hope. When Lori returns, she asks if they want to see the body after she and Melinda bring it back. And Tony says no. And Hope was like, yeah, I want to see and they go out and Hope grabs the Windex from the trunk of the car. Yeah, um, I, I, I have it down that that happens here. Oh, does at that the happen burn here? Pile. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so Tony does not get out of the car. While they're back at the trunk, Hope is douses Shonda mm-hmm. in Windex, like intentionally spraying it into the wounds that she has, mm-hmm. just soaking her body. And she taunts her, saying, you're not looking so hot now, are you? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I have the I have that piece of the timeline off. Yeah, and at the in the meantime, like Tony's revving the engine, so right. she doesn't hear Hope scream, which right. means that she clearly was still conscious and feeling pain. First time they so did she doesn't this hear too. Shonda scream. Yeah. Yeah, you said doesn't hear Hope scream. Oh, my apologies. Yeah, so she doesn't hear <laughs> um, Hope. Scream. I don't think is screaming at this point because she has agreed and wanted to go see. Yeah. Well, she's screaming taunts. Right. So. They close up the trunk, get back in the car, and they drive out to a gas station that's near this nearby high school. Mm -hmm. They put gas in the tank, and they also go inside and buy a two liter of Pepsi. And they dump out this two liter bottle, and then they fill that with gas. Mm -hmm. So then they get back in the car and drive out to an area that Hope is familiar with. Mm -hmm. And Lori and Hope wrap Shonda, who is still alive Mm -hmm. at this point. After all of this that Barely. has been going on. Right. Yeah. They wrap her in a blanket. Tony, again, stays in the car. Yeah. And Melinda doesn't want to help carry Shanda out of the trunk because she thinks that it's too gross. She doesn't want to touch Shanda after all of the handiwork she's done. Right. Yeah. So they wrap her in the blanket and they carry her into this open field. Mm-hmm. And so Lori makes hope pour the gas from this two-liter bottle Mm -hmm. on Shanda, and then they set her on fire and -hmm. just leave. Yeah. However, while they're in the car, Melinda isn't convinced that Shanda's actually dead. 
And so she makes them go back. And this is within just a few minutes. And they pour the rest of the gas. So they hadn't emptied the two-liter bottle entirely. Mm-hmm. Everything that's left is then poured on Shonda, who is already mm-hmm. on fire. By Melinda. Right. Once that's done, back in the car, and they head out for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And Melinda and, says that she's glad that she's dead. And she even describes, right. like, while she's burning, like, Shanda's... She makes fun of Shanda's face because, like, her tongue was going in and out, kind of. I mean, obviously, she doesn't have any oxygen. She's right. getting dehydrated. Yeah, and they, it was a joke. And, I mean, and the blood loss. I mean, just everything yeah. that you'd be going through at that point. So, they head to breakfast. They have... Uh, they go to McDonald's at right about 9.30 a.m. I almost said eat fresh. That's not That's Subway. Goals. I don't know why that just popped into my head. I don't know. McDonald's is, I'm loving it. Right. I don't know. I hate Subway. I do too, man. <laughs> they don't put any meat on their sandwiches. Well, and it just doesn't, it doesn't taste fresh. You say eat fresh. I and know. Then, yeah. All right. We're digressing. Okay. And <laughs> it's because we don't want to keep talking about this. This is a debate but... we need to have, though. <laughs> Scribble that down. The all Coke right. and Pepsi debate is coming, and then okay. the Subway debate is coming. All right. I've got them both down. So while they're having breakfast, though, and this is really disturbing to me. (laughs) To anyone. I would hope so, but I'm just saying for sure for me. They're laughing about the fact that Shonda's body had looked like the sausage that they were now eating at breakfast. Yeah. So that's why I said earlier. They're clearly very distraught about what they've just done to another human being. You know. Um, So that's why I said earlier that I was glad we did not get sausage on any of the breakfast sandwiches we got from McDonald's this morning. So then at this point, Tony calls a friend, mm-hmm. and tells this friend about the murder. Mm-hmm. When they leave breakfast, Lori finally drops Tony and Hope off and brings Melinda back to her house. So now we have Lori and Melinda back at Lori's house. This is when they make Amanda aware mm-hmm. of the murder, and they make plans to meet up with Amanda later. Yeah. In the meantime, they are like cleaning like the outside of the car and trying to clean the inside. And there's a detail that they had found a piece of her skull. And Melinda's grossed out, you know. Right. You know, she's grossed out by all of this. Because she's very dainty. Right. But Lori's, like, laughing and, like, throws it on the ground and is like, it could be a snack for the dogs. You know, as if you weren't disgusted by these people already. So two totally normal teenage girls. Just a normal afternoon. So then a friend of Melinda's meets up with them. And she is also told... What's happened? Yeah. So now within a couple of hours, we have Tony tells one of her friends, mm-hmm. Lori and Melinda tell Amanda, mm-hmm. and then Melinda tells another friend who shows up. So they've yeah. already told three other people. Well, not to mention the two boys the night before that they were in the car with that Tony told as well. Right. At that concert. Yeah. Where she tells them that that's what they're planning on doing. Yeah. So, um, so then Melinda, Lori, and this other friend go to pick up Amanda. And now Amanda is given the whole story. Mm Because she'd been made aware, the general, you know, what had happened. But now she's told the whole story. Yeah, Melinda asks Amanda if she's mad. And Amanda's like, no. And reassures her that everything's okay. Because Amanda didn't believe for a second that they'd actually killed her. Right, and actually this other friend doesn't believe it either. So when they don't believe the story, Lori shows them in the trunk, Mm -hmm. bloody handprints from Shonda and also her socks Mm -hmm. that are still in the trunk. Amanda gets sick. Yeah. And immediately says that she needs to be taken home. I'm surprised that none of the four girls actually like 
vomit got or anything sick. like that. Yeah, like with that's, yeah, with the things that you'd be seeing, and then to just go and sit and eat breakfast too. Like yeah, that's super. Well, okay, yeah. <sighs> oh, there was a there's a, a quote too. When Amanda first arrives and Melinda tells her the story, it's privately. She like Lori keeps trying to interject so melinda takes amanda up to the bedroom privately to tell her what she did to shanda and um melinda goes it's all my fault and it's like well yeah yeah she's like i i think this is all like it's not a not a a, a straight up statement like this is what she's like i just think it's my fault like what well, yeah you yeah, think of course so? it is. you plan and orchestrated this like so so amanda gets sick and has to be taken home so they take her home and when they drop her off melinda kisses amanda Mm-hmm. As you do, her, after you've just viciously right, murdered a 12-year-old. Yeah. Tells her that she loves her and asks Amanda not to tell anyone what happened. Right. And so Amanda promises that she won't and doesn't. Mm-hmm. Says nothing to anyone. Right. Yep. So, a little bit later on this day, so now we're talking about January 11th. Yeah. In that morning. A little bit later, these two brothers are heading out for... Oh, this is... In, no, in the morning. This is quickly... It was happening. The body had already been discovered when all of this is going on. With yeah, I guess I didn't have specific times. I do yeah. have here that these two hunters, so it's these two brothers that are going out for a hunting trip. They find this body on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. They call police at ten fifty-five a.m. And yeah. so, yeah, I guess if you really think about it, if they were at McDonald's by nine thirty, yep, some of this stuff is overlapping. Yeah, this body was discovered, but of course they don't know who it is. Right. So the brothers go and call the police. That's at about ten mm-hmm. fifty-five. Well, and again, and it must be said they think it's a mannequin. Why? Always. It's always. That's what happened because, in the last case we covered. Like what? Because why? My first I think, thought I think would be body. I think your brain tries to disassociate. Like you don't believe. There's no way that's a human body. Oh. So somebody must have dumped a mannequin here. Which I don't know why everybody thinks everyone just has mannequins lying know, around that they need to dump in fields. From? Yeah. Um, my first, first of all, when I see a large enough trash bag on the side of the road, I'm like, is there a body in there? That's my first thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. The police ask them to go back to the body. Yeah. And then the police, you know, obviously mm-hmm. meet them there. So they begin an investigation. They're collecting forensic evidence. Mm-hmm. The police start to form their theory. And so they don't think that this was done by locals. Mm-hmm. They believe that this is a drug deal gone wrong. Yeah. And now this is just initial impressions when they find a body yeah. burned. Yeah, they have an ID. on the side of the road. Yeah, it could be. They don't know how old she is. So, Or maybe they don't even know if it's a she. So while this is all going on... Stephen Shearer, so Shonda's father, mm-hmm. realizes that Shonda isn't at home. And this is early in the morning on yeah, the 11th. Yeah, this is all... Well, because the murder takes place in Kentucky? Yeah, the murder takes place in... No, I think this all happened in Indiana because the high school that they were nearby to at one point is... It's uh, in Madison. Madison. Well, so either I way, I think it's different jurisdictions because she's reported missing... Well, yeah, we have different counties yeah, for sure. Yeah, she's reported missing by her father... Right. And then found by someone else, and they don't make the connection until later when they confer and say, are there any missing people? Like, so, but before the missing persons report, you know, the, Steven is calling neighbors, he's calling friends. Mm-hmm. Her mother. Trying yeah. to find Shonda anywhere, not having any success. So at one forty-five that afternoon is when he calls Jackie, Shonda's mother. Mm-hmm. And they decide together to go and file a missing persons report. Right. So while this is all going on, all happening on the same day, January 11th. In all these um, different places. Right. So Tony and Hope are communicating. They decide that they need to say something. Right. And so they contact an attorney. Mm-hmm. As 
14-year-olds do. Right. Or 15 Well, they are, they're they're yeah. 15s. But, so the attorney tells them that they need to go tell their parents. Mm-hmm. So both girls... As an attorney should right. do. <laughs> <laughs> so both girls tell their parents. Right. Mm-hmm. Hope's parents take Hope, get to a hotel. Yeah. Why didn't you say it? They yeeted right out of there, Mike. <laughs> um, they yeeted right out of there with their kids. So they take off. Then Tony's parents say, well, we have to go to the police. Yeah. So at 8.20 p.m., January 11th, mm-hmm. Tony and her parents turn up at the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. Mm-hmm. And she is super emotional. Mm-hmm. She is giving, giving this statement about everything that happened. She names the victim Shonda. and Not a common name either. So Right. And, and she says the two other girls' names, Lori and Melinda... And she's trying to get across what had happened, everything that had gone on mm-hmm. the night before. But she's almost incoherent. She's just rambling, as you would be, I think, mm-hmm. going through that type of an experience. So at this point, the police are able to connect this story. With a missing persons case in the other county. Right. With the missing persons case. And then this all eventually ties into this body that's found by these hunters. Mm-hmm. Dental records are what winds up being used to confirm that the body that was found by the hunters is Shonda. Yeah. And then it Mm -hmm. goes along with everything that Tony tells the police at this point. Right. So Melinda and Lori are arrested on January 12th immediately. So now this is the next day. Yeah. Tony shows up at 8.20 p.m. on the 11th. And on the 12th, Melinda and Lori are arrested. And it's... Just based on Tony's statement at that point. I mean, obviously they have... I feel like that's enough to go on. Right. Yeah. And then they, you know, they get some corroborating evidence. They're able to confirm the ID and all that. But when they're arrested, it's Tony's statement is the basis for the arrest. Pretty immediately, prosecutors say they're going to try both of these girls as adults. Yeah. And again, Melinda's 16 at this time and Lori is 17. Right. And so initially, all that the public knew were the statements taken by police. Mm-hmm. The prosecution's not putting anything else out there. The defense isn't putting anything else out there. No one's really talking with the media. Mm-hmm. Just these statements going out. So eventually, all four of the girls are charged as adults for their different parts in, the crime, in what yeah. happened to Shonda. And the state puts it out there that they intend to seek the death mm-hmm. penalty. So, And then eventually they do release all of the girls' names. Right. Which is rare. Yeah, I mean, especially the, with yeah, the age of... juveniles, right. yeah. So all four girls end up taking plea deals. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things that have to be taken into account. We've already mentioned a lot of them, but just like a, a quick recap. Mm-hmm. You know, we have claims of physical and sexual abuse yeah. in the childhood yeah, these are of considered these four girls. The mitigating factors. Yeah, mitigating circumstances. That led to whatever. their respective sentences, I guess. So... There's these claims of abuse, physical and sexual. There's histories of self-harm for all four girls. Mm-hmm. Lori, having been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, the hallucinations that yeah. she had had since childhood. Melinda's long history of mental health issues and her very long history of abuse, mm-hmm. which we went into enough detail about already. So Melinda and Lori are sentenced to 60 years in the Indiana women's prison. Hope also gets sentenced to 60 years. Right. But 10 years of that sentence are suspended. Mm -hmm. And then she's given 10 years of medium supervision probation. She appeals that 
And a judge actually reduces it to 35 years. Right. Based on her cooperation. Yeah. In the judicial process. Tony pleads guilty to one count of criminal confinement. And she's sentenced to a maximum of 20 years. In October of 2007, so quite a jump now, Melinda's attorney requests a hearing wanting to argue for her release. And he says that she had been profoundly retarded by abuse as a child Mm -hmm. and that she had ineffective counsel. Mm -hmm. There is a part uh, in, again, one of the books that I used as resource that Melinda's stepfather had corroborated that basically saying that she had the mental capacity of a child in many ways so yes she may have been very advanced sexually because of the abuse but that she never watched the news or any kind of more mature kind of viewing Mm -hmm. shows she always watched cartoons or something like that that she didn't even know who george bush senior was and he was the president of the united states at the time right like things like that, that she was just not in Which touch. is a pretty that, classic test yeah. for mental capacity. Yeah, and that she... Well, I mean, obviously you can also see by her note writing that her notes were basically on the same level as Shanda and Amanda. She certainly was very not young. Right, and as someone that, that was four years things. older than Shanda and two years older than Amanda. Exactly. She, yeah, she still hadn't had any type of maturity from there she could have passed i think if you would have read those notes still could have passed for a 12 year old right and so then as the cherry on top of that argument uses the same argument that everyone uses that she had ineffective counsel counsel. yeah and then he also tries to argue that she was too young because she was 16 at the time to take the plea deal because it's essentially a contract with the state and says that she couldn't do that without parental consent which Mm -hmm. they never got so I see. But he if they're submits- charging her as an adult. Right. So if she's being legally considered an adult, then legally she gets to decide. Not only that, she is the perpetrator of the crime. Would she not have a say in what she wants to do? You would think. So yeah, So he files this he files this in October of 2007. In on January 8th, 2008, the circuit judge denies the request. They're not going to have the mm. hearing. However, he does say that Melinda should be eligible for parole in 15 years. Mhm. They obviously keep trying to move forward with this. In November of that year, November 14th, the Court of Appeals in Indiana upholds that circuit ruling. Mm -hmm. So not released. Because essentially with that type of a request, he's either trying to get her released or he's trying to have a a retrial, essentially, saying that she couldn't enter into the plea deal and she deserves to have a trial. At this point, as we sit here recording today, all four of these girls now women yes. have been released from prison and are free walking among us so on december 14th of 2000 tony was released after serving, after serving nine, nine years, years of her 20 year sentence right well it was a 20 year max so mm-hmm. didn't quite hit that but nine years served she was on parole through december of 2002 so two years on april 28th of 2006 hope is released mm-hmm. she had served 14 years of her original 60-year sentence. Right. I know Which that had was reduced, been reduced to but 35. Still, her original sentence was 60 years. And she is placed on supervised parole through April of 2011. So five mm-hmm. years of parole there. On January 11th, 2018, Lori is released. And if January 11th sounds familiar, it was the 
26th anniversary to the date mm. of Shonda's death. Yeah, that was a, a really poor call. Yeah. You could have waited a day. Yeah. So she had served just short of 26 years. Mm-hmm. She's placed on parole. Mm-hmm. And then September 5th of 2019, Melinda is released. Yeah. And she, she had served just over 26 years. Of her 60-year sentence, yeah. And was placed on parole. Right. And so that's where we find ourselves today because now we're just over a year removed from the last release. Yep. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, that was. Here we are. All right, guys, you've made it through the case. And that was. And I um, barely made it through the case. Yeah, that was uh, a tough one. And especially we had to listen to this over and over over again yeah various media sources i read two full books on the case and just hearing the details over and over we always are like obviously it's intriguing and it just sucks to say that this is intriguing i have to tell you this is the least intriguing for me because i'm just so turned off yeah i mean true crime in, that... true crime in general but it's just this one is just so very sad off-putting. to say it's like yeah, it's just, but the intriguing part about it is is how do you end up with four adolescent teenage girls killing another one? That's the piece of it. That's the piece that we want to understand. And then most of you are probably wondering if you've listened to all the episodes of our show, kind of our shtick is to debate something. And really what is there to debate with this case? It's not a who done it. We know who done it and we know what led up to it. But I think what we're going to debate here is was justice served? Okay, and before we jump into the debate, just for some housekeeping, do you have the titles of your two books oh, yeah, I ready do. so me, we can um, give those so we don't forget? I do. So in the meantime, while well, I'm grabbing those because I did write them down somewhere, I think. All right, so while you pull those up, you also told me that I had to remind you that you had another tidbit about Melinda that you wanted to bring up later. That was all you oh, gave about, me. Oh, about Amanda. Yeah, we're going to get into that in the debate portion. I haven't forgotten. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> so the the sources that I use, and we actually don't really go, we use a ton of sources, but there is an incredibly extensive review done by Stephanie Harlow, who we follow on Instagram if you need to find her. She's under Stephanie Harlow. She does a lot of true crime videos on YouTube, which is where I personally listen to true crime. And uh, she has like a four episode series and it's like, in total, got to be over five hours long. Yeah, they're they're uh, each yeah. at least an hour long. Yeah, and her two sources were these exact books that I purchased and read myself. And the first book is Cruel Sacrifice by Aphrodite Jones, and the second one is called Little Lost Angel by Michael Quinlan. They're both available through Amazon. Like, you can do it on the Kindle or whatever. And Yeah. And uh, so I did not read the two books. Yeah. But I did listen to Stephanie Harlow. Mm-hmm. And she does give a pretty thorough yeah, yeah. Uh, rundown yeah. of what's in those books. Yeah, there are a few things that I interpreted differently and, and I put my own kind of thought and feel into to my notes. But if you want a different perspective, and, and I do, my opinions obviously differ from people that I listen to on certain points, so... You know, but if you'd like another perspective or an even deeper dive into the case, certainly uh, give her a watch or a listen or whatever, and check out those two books if interested because they were pretty good. I, w- I wish that they'd given a little more information on Shanda. If I'm being perfectly honest, I know she's 12, but she had a huge personality, and I again feel that a lot of the victims are underrepresented. 
Yeah, well, I mean, with this one, though, we did have... We had more than we have with some. Yeah. But there definitely could have been a lot more there. Yeah, yeah. So... Okay. The short answer to our question was justice served. Who wants to go first? Well, I'm just going to say no. My answer is yes. So we actually well, have here a... we are. There we go. We've finally... Because we've been agreeing a little too much lately, <laughs> and I'm not a fan. <laughs> so what parts shall we I'll let you. First? I'll let you guide us through. And, okay. Uh, so I'll go ahead and bring up the, the tidbit that I wanted to bring up. So earlier in the case, you were saying that, that you didn't want to blame Amanda. I didn't want to put all of the blame right. on Amanda. So if you guys go, well, I, you can, I don't know where you can actually watch this, if he has like a website or something, but Dr. Phil had a special on this case and he interviewed the mother, Jackie, and the other daughter, Paige, which was Shanda's sister. And they interviewed Lori Tackett. I believe she was still in prison at the time. And Hope Rippy appeared and literally sat across from Shanda's mother and sister. While they were interviewed. Insane. I, I Insane. If you can't hear it rattling, I'm just shaking my head yeah. right now. Um, but they also interviewed Amanda. I'll get to the Hope Rippy piece later, but since we're going with Amanda first. They interview Amanda privately, and then in a back room, they have Jackie and Paige watching Amanda's interview and reacting to it. And here's the thing. When I first heard this, the first several times I heard this, I was like, Amanda's the instigator. Why isn't she in any kind of trouble? She must have known and all of this. And when you listen to her interview with Dr. Phil, she is like, she's very smug. That That is absolutely a given, in my opinion. She's very smug. And she is like, you know, I lost a lot too. Da, 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 da. And she even says, I was kicked off the basketball team. Mind you, this is an adult oh. Amanda Heverin comparing the murder of this woman's daughter to her being kicked off the basketball team. That is the one part where I absolutely am like, what the heck are you saying, man? Right. But the rest of it. I do not in any way, shape or form, believe that Amanda holds any responsibility for this crime, in my opinion. You guys can come for me, but I don't. She was 14 years old, and she didn't egg these people on. She didn't ask for it. Did she or didn't she know beforehand? Maybe. Melinda made a lot of threats that she never carried out. And not only that, but we're talking about a girl that is emotionally tied to Melinda and to Sh- and to Shanda. She's put in a very awkward position that, yes, she made her bed. I, I get that piece of it. But she's 14. A lot of us go through these kind of love triangles in high school. Well, yeah, and you can't fault a 14-year-old girl for not taking it seriously when her 16-year-old girlfriend says, I want to kill this girl... Yeah. That she's flirting with. Yeah. How many people would be in jail today if we arrest everyone that said, oh my God, I wish that she would just get hit by a bus or I wish that she would just go I would away. have been arrested like, three times already yeah. today. <laughs> Mostly in traffic. I am. Okay. I was going to say, I'm not the girl that you're wishing would be hit by a bus, I hope. Yeah. So, and Amanda says, I lost stuff too. And she does bring up the fact that a lot of people see Amanda as a predator. And I say to this, I don't think so. At all. I understand that some of her behavior wasn't super great and that she may have pushed Shanda a little too hard and influenced her in a way that maybe wasn't, you know, a nice or... <sighs> she was not a positive role model. No. But at 14 years old, that's a lot of responsibility to put on a 14-year-old. But it's not, a lot of responsibility yeah. to put on an adult to be a positive role mm-hmm. model for children. How can you do that to a 14-year-old yeah. and expect them to be a positive role model for a 12-year-old? Yeah, and, and They're yes, still figuring things out, too. 
Exactly. And yes, she was pushy. Yes, she was. But I also have to take into consideration the fact, like I mentioned before, Melinda also, by her own admission, for lack of a better word, assaulted Amanda. Right. She, Melinda would have her way with Amanda whenever and wherever she wanted, much like her father did with her. Well, and not and even took just her anger in out that her. way, when, they, when Melinda confronts them at that school dance, when she shows up with her friend that mm-hmm. she was supposed to be staying the night with, she slaps Amanda across the face. Yeah. While they're standing in that parking lot. So, yeah. And that's in public. Everybody's leaving the dance at the point that that's happening. This mm-hmm. is in front of a bunch of people. She wasn't even worried about physically assaulting Amanda Mm -hmm. in front of people. So how comfortable do you have to be with that dynamic Mm -hmm. that you would do that? As much as I disliked her smugness and the way she said things and reading through the story what Amanda did, I was passing judgment on her as if she is also a 30-year-old woman like I am. She is not. She's a child. Right. And I realized that I'm trying to pass judgment on her as if she were my age. No. She's a kid. And and to go through something like this at that age, you have to imagine that you're stunted in some way. Yeah. If not completely. Right. By going through something like that, she got physically ill as soon as Mm -hmm. she believed that this happened. She didn't see the body. Mm -hmm. She didn't participate in any of this. She saw blood Mm -hmm. and a pair of socks that confirmed this story that she in no way, shape, or form believed when she heard it. Mm-hmm. She sees two things that confirm mm-hmm. the story to her and vomits, mm-hmm. gets physically ill, and immediately needs to go home. Yeah. That is traumatic. Yeah. I am not saying that it equates to what happened to Shonda. Mm-hmm. Right. But what does that do to a 14-year-old? Yeah, but we're not comparing what happened to Shanda to what happened to Amanda. That's unfair. Amanda didn't do that to Shanda. But we need to isolate Amanda's story and say, was she, is she culpable? No, I don't really think that she is. And she does remark that she couldn't even go to the funeral. Allegedly, Jackie threatened, you can't come. And Jackie, Which I think is understandable, understanding everything that had happened right, up to that but point. But I'm also not going to take that away from Amanda and discount the feelings that she has about that. She did love Shanda. And she still had to deal with that she couldn't go. And she didn't perpetrate the crime. Right. That was hard on her. And then not only that, she's still an adult woman that's being accused of being a predator. And she does say in the interview that Shanda came on to her. Whether or not that's true, it's regardless. It's clear by the love notes and things that Shanda was complicit in their sexual encounters. Right. Now, do I think that she was peer pressured? Yeah. Yeah. And is that wrong? Yeah. But she wasn't assaulted. Amanda didn't force herself on her. And I do think, especially with the mother, and I, I, I addressed this already before, but I truly think that perhaps the parents were a little more angry because it was a, a homosexual relationship. That's my opinion. I think that, that that played a big part was that they felt that Amanda was forcing her sexuality on her. And I don't necessarily know that I think that Shanda was gay, but she's 12. She's going to experiment. She loved Shanda as a friend. Maybe she wanted to just please her or keep her around for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. What matters is that she willingly participated in sexual acts with her. And that does not make Amanda a predator, given their ages, in my opinion. Well, and we have to, I mean, we do have to make sure that it's clear, though, that we're talking about a 12-year-old girl. Yeah. So as far as consent... She can't give it. Right. So there, there's some questions there, but you also have the same then concern with Amanda being 14. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of gray area there. You can understand the parents being upset about there being a relationship, period. Mm -hmm. But it's all exacerbated by, you know, the culture and the climate at that point. Mm -hmm. 
where because this is two young girls mm-hmm. that they I think blew it further out of proportion and that does mm-hmm. damage to everyone involved but just because Amanda was the center of the love triangle she was not the center of the crime and she's the catalyst for the crime her existence and her relationship with Melinda and Shanda mm-hmm. is what what starts I guess Melinda down mm-hmm. that road, but that's not her fault. The way Melinda reacts to Amanda is nobody's fault but Melinda's. Right. Her actions thereafter are hers alone. So yeah, Amanda may have gone and done these things, but again, this is teenage stuff that every parent deals with, I think. And I mean, it could have been a little worse than maybe most cases, but uh, I just can't find Amanda culpable. But uh, moving on, I don't know if you agree with that point, but I just wanted to get Amanda out of the way before we really uh, yeah, talk about... Yeah, I don't about... see how you can really... And that's why, you know, that's why I said I don't want to place all of the blame on Amanda because mm-hmm. it kind of does feel that way with everything that you read, everything that you mm-hmm. listen to, that there's a lot of blame placed at her feet. Mm-hmm. She was a 14-year-old that was confused mm-hmm. and, you know... Also, I mean, she also was not accepted by her parents either. Right. Her father was adamantly against her being gay as well. Which we talked about already. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She so, also dealt with a lot of things. So, yeah, I don't I don't see how you can lay blame at Amanda's feet. No. Certainly as, not anything that's prosecutable. I mean, right. Yeah. Could no. she have handled things better? Yeah. Could we have all handled just about everything we did when we were 14 better? Probably. Mm-hmm. But so she didn't kill anyone. Right. And she didn't she did not participate. There no. is nothing showing that she had any knowledge, mm-hmm. let alone asking for it to happen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as far as the the crime that was committed here, there's 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 nothing there. To, yeah, there's exactly. no trail to Amanda. Yeah. Now, as far as the other girls go, I understand Melinda's motive. She's the only person with motive for what happened. And she's also the only one that has any connection whatsoever to Shanda. So diving into Melinda, that's not an excuse, but at least I understand why she felt the way she did. I don't know that I would could say that I understand. Why no, she I, did I mean what she I did. understand her her motive, not why she would do something like that. But I, I understand in her teenage mind that the anger and like the uh and the angst and all of that going through with it is completely separate. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is Melinda has a tie. She has a motive. She has a reason to want to get rid of this girl. What do the other three have? In her mind. Right. But what do the other three have? In my eyes, it almost makes the three of them like a little worse. Like, you don't even know this person. You have no reason on earth that you would want to harm her. The reason isn't good, and it's not an excuse, but at least, like... I could, you could see like, okay, well, Melinda's trying to get back at Shanda and she wants her out of her life because she's causing all this turmoil in her romantic life. But the other three have never even heard of this girl before and just went along with this random person. Like Hope and Tony didn't know Melinda. Well, okay. So just really quickly too, then let's, let's talk about Tony. Cause I th- feel like maybe there's common ground here. Tony went to the police, told the police what happened, took responsibility for the part that she played in it. But... She tried to put an end to it. She did not do enough. Okay, but we're looking at this as two adults at like all of the other things you could have done to stop this from happening. The opportunities that she had, two different gas stations while they had Shonda in the car, Mm -hmm. all of those things. I get all of those things. In that situation though, at 15 years old, with that type of stuff going around, you're not clear-headed. So I'm not excusing that she didn't do more. But can I understand how you may feel trapped and not see those opportunities? 
I kind of do. I more understand it from a fear point of view, that maybe she would have feared retaliation from them or feared being alienated because although, yes, we're talking about something much bigger, murder, for a teenage girl, being alienated by your friend or shunned is probably right there on that same level in a teenager's mind. Sure. That kind of thing is... Yeah, and their love lives, they think, are the most important thing in the world, too. So that's... Their priorities are much different. So I think what I what I see as common ground there is that I think, in the case of Tony specifically, I think justice was served there. With the sentence that yeah. she got, because she's the one who goes to the police, mm-hmm. she puts an end to this pretty quickly. And she doesn't she ever physically report... She did nothing physically to Shanda. Right. And... And I think she, when she's participating in this stuff, at the beginning, when she's, you know, actually participating in yeah. whatever it is, I don't think she thinks this is actually going to happen. Right. And, and and again, that was that thing that was like when Lori gets in the car and asks Hope, did you tell her? And it's like, Tony maintains that she didn't know that that was the intention at the beginning. And once she realized it, that's when she was like, oh, no, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing this. Right. But we can't say for sure. Although I will say all of the kind of accounts and things I've read and again, the books and the court documents, I'm like, the majority of all of their stories match up and all of them are saying that Tony didn't take part in it. Right. Yeah, no one placed the blame on Tony. The girls were actually pretty forthcoming with what happened in the crime and they all match up. And Tony did, you know, what what her part was in it was getting Mm -hmm. Shonda in the car. Yeah, but she did deserve to be sentenced because she did... If she had not participated at the point that she did to get Shonda to that car, which is why she's charged with confinement. Oh, I I disagree there. I think that she should have been charged regardless. Being there during the commission of the entire crime, you're you're complicit in it. I get that, but I I understand why the charge that they chose... The confinement charge makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And why that's what she pled guilty to. And I think she got an appropriate sentence for that part that she played. I agree. So we agree. Yeah, we can get her off the table. Yeah, justice was served there. Well, I guess then let's move on to the next lesser sentence. I guess which would be hope. Sure. So again, hope doesn't know Shanda, and she really doesn't know Melinda either. Mm -hmm. She only knows Lori, and she's going along with Lori, who she's always supported. And then also, I'm going to fault her for bringing along Tony because it's definitely implied that Hope had some sort of knowledge about what was going to happen. And she just drags her friend into it and doesn't tell her about it. And then again, she doesn't know the ringleader and she doesn't know the victim. She just jumps right in there. And there are bits and pieces where she is certainly struggling with her guilt during the commission of the crime because you can see her go back and forth. I don't want a part of this. Maybe I do want a part of it. When she gets ballsy, she goes up and participates. Then she gets scared. and So is it that she's scared or is it that she's guilty? And I'm not sure. Right. She also, she's the one that has the interview on Dr. Phil with Jackie and Paige, Shanda's mother and uh, sister, respectively. I believe her. I will say that. And I have not seen the interview, so just give me like kind of a recap. So the gist is, is that uh, in their mugshots, Hope Rippey is smiling in hers. And that's the first question that they ask is, why are you smiling in the mugshot? She goes on to say that, well, the police were kind of making her laugh, which has happened a few times in cases, especially with minors. Because no one wants to arrest a minor. Right. And you want to make them feel comfortable because they're children. Oh, they're doing what we do. Yeah. Trying to break some tension. Yeah, they're, they're children. And I guess he, he made her laugh. I believe that. I really do. And listening to her talking, she... It. Yeah. She basically admitted to the parts on live television that she felt she was guilty of. And she said, 
I did taunt her. I participated in that at the witch's castle. She sprayed her with Windex, that kind of thing that she helped. She does admit that she poured the gasoline on her and that she was the first one to do so. She says that Lori shoved the two liter in her hands and said, pour it. And Hope initially protested, which is true in accord- according to both books. And that Lori said, no, you need to do it and basically forced her hand. So Hope did pour the first piece of gasoline, which is why she was initially hit with that 60-year sentence sentence because that directly contributed to her death. Okay, but here's my thing. Although Hope may have been hesitant when they first got to the woods, Mm -hmm. she then gets out of the car and Mm -hmm. actively participates in just about everything after that. She doesn't go with Lori and Melinda when they go for the second drive when Mm -hmm. they're continuing the beating of Shonda, but she participates in everything else she participates in one act of torture and then but then she is actively participating in the actual death like shonda would have died from those injuries she may not have i read that had she gotten medical attention before she was burned that she may have survived i don't know how likely that is when you really think about the extent like i'm I'm not disagreeing with whatever you read but in my mind she died from being set on fire, not from her other wounds. Well, that's, I mean, that's going to be the cause of death because yeah. she was still alive when that happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she really could have lived. Yeah. With the amount of blood lost, the extent of her injuries, with the caving in of her skull, and even if she did physically live, what would the quality of life have been? Mm-hmm. Was she brain dead I mean, at yeah, the I point know. that she is set on fire? You know, like, I just don't think... I don't think it's likely that she would have survived even physically, but she definitely would not have been able to actually live a life. But I mean, and I know this is stupid to argue about, but the Windex didn't kill her, so. Well, no, the Windex didn't kill her, but that's like one of those really disturbing details that you have, even though it may seem kind of like on the sideline, like that just shows... Yeah. That shows a disregard. That shows a disregard for human life, human decency, Mm -hmm. to do something like that, to intentionally be spraying the wounds, knowing you're going to inflict more pain, even though it may it's nowhere near the extent of what's happened up to that point. What it feels like almost to me, like I said, like when she was fearful she stepped back and when she felt like she was comfortable enough to come back she did it almost feels like she didn't want to participate in the physical like things that could actually hurt her like the stabbing or the strangling and things like that but more of the taunting piece of it to show that she was big and bad in but front then of Lori. she dumps the gasoline participating yeah. in Although, the burning of her Lori admits to forcing her to do it but Lori she's not holding a gun to her head. I mean, could Hope have been afraid that something would happen to her if yeah. she didn't? Yeah, I suppose so. But Tony stayed in the car, and nobody did anything to her. Yeah, I agree. And again, you're a 15-year-old. You're not thinking completely clearly. We're getting to look at this from the outside and, mm-hmm. and make judgment and calls about what they did. But Although I shouldn't have, I did feel bad hearing Shanda's mother and sister attack Hope. And I guess that's because, obviously, what she did was horrible. I mean, there's there's no excuse. There's no excuse. I don't want any of like my opinions to make it seem like I'm excusing what they did. But I felt that Hope was being genuine. And when asked, you know, why she did it, and she was like, she goes, I participated in this, 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 and this. And she basically said, she goes, I was a weak child. Her exact words were, I don't have an excuse like that in regards to like her upbringing. She didn't have a poor upbringing. 
She said she had a good childhood. She's not anyone. Well, I mean, had... when you're comparing it to the other three girls. Yeah. But she didn't. She had a normal upbringing. The only thing that we found that was out of the ordinary was the self-harm, which may have been the cause from perhaps depression or the people she was hanging out with. We can't be sure. But I do believe that she's rehabilitated, and I believe her punishment fit. I believe that she served enough time. She was 15. I don't know a better way to explain it. I can only go like based on emotion at this point. And I think that she served her time. 14 years old is a or 14 years is a long time to serve in prison for something you did when you were 15. But what you did when you were 15 was end the life of a 12-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. And while I can try to understand the pressure you may have been feeling if there was fear involved, mm-hmm. you ended someone else's life. So your 14 years in jail is nothing compared to the fact that Shonda's life is over. Shonda's mother's life is destroyed. Mm -hmm. Her sister's life is destroyed. Her father's life is destroyed. Mm -hmm. Oh, and and side note, Steve Scherer uh, eventually drank himself to death after this. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this, and this is for all of the girls, and in my opinion... All children. This is something I wanted to discuss when we go over another case that I've been wanting to do forever. Like my very, I hate to say favorite, but my favorite case of all time. I don't think that a 14, 15, 16 year old person understands the gravity of death. I disagree. Then there's there's nothing really that either one of us can say to change our minds. Right. That's an emotional feeling that we get. I think there's a reason that we have a certain age where there's a cutoff. For being charged as an adult. And that's another point, is that they were children. They are not adults, and that's why we have that cutoff. But they were charged as adults, because they were old enough to be charged as adults. I suppose. But I guess, moving on to Lori Tackett. Listen, she had a terrible childhood. The things that she had to go through, you know, no one should have to go through those types of things. None of that excuses doing this type of thing, doing this to a 12-year-old girl. None of it excuses that. And I don't even like the fact, you know, and I covered them because it played into the deals that they were given and and all of those types of things. I don't like the fact that we're talking about these mitigating circumstances. Mm -hmm. People go through these types of things. Not that they should have to. This shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. You know, and obviously the same thing for Melinda and the things that she went through. Those things should not happen to people, but they do. And those people don't do what these girls did. As adults, I would feel the same way you do. If, for instance, Lori is 25 years old and went through this in her childhood and commits crimes as adults, then I go, well, sweetie, you're grown up. You have to figure that out. And you can't, you know. But this isn't something that happened in their past like way back in the past, and now they're still using it as an excuse for their actions today. These crimes were committed while these things are actively happening to them. But not by Shonda. If you feel the need to act out in this way, to take this type of aggression out on someone, why not on your abusers? This 12-year-old girl, Lori, did not even know her. Right, but that's not something we understand. And a lot of people take out their anger on other people. That's why bullies exist. They need an outlet, and it's typically somebody who's smaller than them. Okay, but we also can't compare these girls to bullies. Well, bullies certainly don't, bullies. But. Bullies don't kill 12-year-old girls that they don't know. 
I agree that it's sadistic, but when we're talking about, I'm not saying that these girls shouldn't be guilty. They're absolutely guilty and should have served prison time, and they did. I'm just saying that I felt like the punishment fit the crime. I don't think at that the it very did. beginning I was like, I can't believe they're all out of prison. But the and first of all, you know me. Typically, I'm like, lock them up, don't let them out. And I don't know why. I just they're they were children, and I don't think that children should be served life in prison or 60 years, which is pretty much life for them. I can't see that happening. I can't see someone serving that long in prison, especially when they are rehabilitated. But let's also talk about this, okay? Lori, at the time that this happens, is 17. Mm -hmm. Okay, and this is happening in January. She is just months away from being 18 years old. So you're telling me if this happened nine months later, not even quite a full nine months, then we should lock her up? And then it's okay that she was tried as an adult, but we have an issue with trying a 17-year-old as an adult? Legally, yeah. I have, I have to go with the legality. Yeah, I do. If You're you're legally an adult when you're 18, and she was not. And that's but you how are I have legally allowed it. to try them as adults. That's and that's how they fine. And that's fine. And I think that they were served properly. And that I they let that them they out when they should have been. been. I think that they should have been sentenced as adults. And I think that being released this quickly... She's released on the 26th anniversary of the end of this young girl's life. The date is not her fault. (laughs) I'm not saying that. But you think that 26 years is enough for ending a 12-year-old girl's life nine months before you turn 18 years old? If she had been 18, she would have never seen the light of day again. I think given what was happening in her life, yes. The only thing. The only thing that I will take into consideration, because again, these things happen to people and they don't do this. I will take into consideration that she had mental health issues. And that is not villainizing people with mental health issues, but she had borderline personality disorder. She suffered from these hallucinations. Mm -hmm. She's on antipsychotics, antidepressants, okay? That's going to affect your mindset. That affects your way of thinking. I can understand that, but that's not... That's not what happened here. Because if that was really what we were taking into consideration, would she have gone for treatment instead? Maybe I'd be okay with that. If she had gone for treatment, if she was being treated actively the entire time that she's in custody. Yeah, but we can't confirm that. I don't know if you looked any of that up, and I did not. So I can't comment on that. I'm certainly sure that they were all given some sort of mental care. I I would hope so, but I I don't see anything... That confirms that any of that did happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, as far as who I feel really was most culpable, I guess I can't really think of the word, but that I I feel maybe should have had the longest sentence would have been Lori, even more so than Melinda. Would have been Lori. Well, yeah, because Lori basically takes over this entire thing. This This is concocted by Melinda. Yeah. And so she is usually viewed as the ringleader. And again, but Lori then, has no tie to Shanda, which right. I'm like, why are you killing a random but person? But then you have Lori, the oldest of these girls, too, mm-hmm. who then takes control of it. She bashes in Shonda's skull. Mm-hmm. She forces Hope to dump the gasoline in whatever way she forces her to do it. But that's the account, that she forces her to do that. She sets the fire. Mm-hmm. She's driving for a large majority of the night. So she's in control in just about every way you can be in control. Mm-hmm. She should have never gotten out of prison. And I just disagree with that. That's that's just how I feel. Again, the stuff that happened to her was happening actively to her. Not something in the past. Not where like, if I, if I committed this crime and I go, oh, but I was abused when I was young and this and that. And it's like, well, too bad. I'm, I'm 31. 
I'm able to find myself help if I needed to. Like I'm an adult and I know right from wrong and this and that. Not to say that she didn't know right from wrong, but you know what I mean. I'm, I am an adult. These things happened in my past. She was legally a child and those things were happening to her at the time. This wasn't her past. This was what was happening to her then. She was on antidepressants. She had just come out of a rehab facility twice. She's harming herself. She's not accepted by her religious zealot parents. I'm, this is in no way saying that, like, obviously religion is bad or anything like that. I just mean, like, No, no, this zealot. was too an extreme. Yeah, yeah this was an, an extreme religious. She's being, like, a lot of these girls, I mean, she can't express herself in any kind of way at all. She's being held back. She's constantly ridiculed in school by all of these people. She's bullied constantly. She has no rhyme or reason to her life whatsoever. She just has so much going on. And again, not an excuse for what she did. She is absolutely guilty of that. But do I think that she should be sentenced forever? No, I don't. So you're okay with the fact that she's just out on the street now, walking around like nothing ever happened, just out and about. It's not that nothing ever happened because these people aren't just walking around just out and about. You know, she did have to go through parole. And also... Well, I think she... And I think right now she is still on parole. But again, yeah. that's only and this is for on her, a certain... But also, know. this is on her record forever. And everyone knows who she is. So yes, she will, she will still be serving some sort of sentence for the rest of her life because of what she did. And she deserves that. She deserves that. But you believe that it's just that she has been released. What if she goes out and does this again? Because we already know that the system has failed Lori. The system failed her. She was released. Two days later, almost kills herself accidentally. Mm -hmm. Is still going through all these things. They hadn't diagnosed her with the borderline personality disorder when they had her the first time. Mm -hmm. That's diagnosed when she's brought back after she has to be rushed to a hospital. The system has failed her. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm not saying... That's why I'm saying what I would consider is the mental health issues at play for Lori. We also know that she served her time in a prison, not in a, not in a mental mm-hmm. center, right? She wasn't there. She wasn't there for mental illness, treatment, and rehabilitation. She served the time in a prison. So even if she's meeting with some type of mental health professional while she's serving this sentence, mm-hmm. that was not the focus of the time that she spent behind bars. So, so if she comes out and does this again now, by your own argument, now she should be sentenced differently. But we should have never released her in the first place for her to be able to do that. Yeah, but I disagree with that, though. She was released for a reason. She obviously had a perfect record in prison. Obviously, there are professionals out there, and we have to try to trust that, that they made the right decision because, because if you believe in the justice system and how it goes, we should be working on rehabilitation. That's what so many people think. But that's not what happens. But we know that in our and now this justice is my system, personal that's not opinion. what happens. My personal opinion is that none of these four women will reoffend. Obviously, I can't say that's true or anything like that. That's just how what I believe personally. Do I believe that Tony will reoffend? No. Can I buy that Hope wouldn't reoffend? Sure. Lori and Melinda. Well, there I are don't interviews. Buy that at all. There are interviews with all of them. And I, maybe if you watch them as adults, you would feel differently. And there's only so much that you can get through watching someone through a screen. And obviously, they're only, you know, what people tell the media. But that's how I feel. But let, let's jump into Melinda, because she's the last one. And she's the person that's most involved in this whole... Well, arguably, because honestly, like we've said, Lori, as the oldest, the amount of control that she had, you know, I think that you could make the argument that she's more culpable than any of the other three. Mm-hmm. Even though Melinda... Stirred the pot, hatched yeah. the plan. 
I just mean that she's the, the she's the person who's heaviest involved in all aspects of the story. She's the one who has a relationship with both Lori, Amanda, and Shanda. Right. And there is one comment I do want to make about Melinda that I haven't really heard mentioned anywhere else, and that's that it's just a girlfriend and why it meant so much. And I know I already said that in high school, your your boyfriend or girlfriend or love interest, that is the end-all be-all when you're in high school. We all know that. We've all experienced it. But even more so, the abuse and relationship she had with her father. Amanda is not only the first person that she really could attach herself to again and love. Amanda reminded her of her father. And I think that made the attachment even worse. And it almost feels to me like Melinda's sexuality wasn't accepted, but it was by Amanda. Amanda reminded her of her father. She cared for her, I think. And then Amanda was going to leave her again. And I, I, I think that plays a big role because a lot of people just don't understand. Like, I why. can give you all of that. I'll give you all of the terrible things that she's subjected to that no one should be. I'll give you what that would do to a child. None of that, to me, justifies you walking the street ever again. After ending the life of a 12-year-old girl in the manner that it was done. And she actively participated in the beating, in the torture, and in the death. All of the things that you're saying to me right now, I thought those exact same thoughts. I had those exact feelings when I first looked at this case for probably a straight week. But for the last week, I've been reflecting on these kinds of things because... I typically walk into cases with my mind made up and then have to kind of like reset and I first listening and reading and all this and then I had to go, wait a second, you, you got to do your reset and I did and I have to look at it from all aspects and it's just, she, you obviously heard that she like does this like dog program and all of that and that Shanda's mother even donated a dog to Melinda to raise and care for. She like uh, trains service dogs and there are interviews that you can watch with her and everything and basically... A lot of people, obviously including the people who do her psyche vows and, you know, the directors and things like that at the prison and the board who makes the decision felt that Melinda was rehabilitated and she did serve 26 years. They have felt that way about plenty of people that are then released and reoffend. Some almost immediately. Well, she hasn't yet. And again, okay, well, we're only about a year removed from that. I just think and considering- she is still on parole, so she's still being supervised Considering all of the factors that played into it, though, I'm not saying that I would be upset if they were still in prison. They were served their sentences. They killed a little girl. They I don't did, think that the 60-year sentence that they received initially was enough. Well, we differ there as well. But I also trust that the correct decision was made in their release because of all of the factors that went into it. I do. Melinda had a lot of problems. She had a horrific upbringing. I have, I have given you that. I absolutely Which again, agree. she was still in the thick of. This is not, she's again, a 30-year-old woman who had a horrific upbringing in high school. No, she is still in high school living that life. But she is 16 years old. At 16 years old, you don't understand that Her father was someone... sleeping with her in the bed up to right two years before she committed but this crime. But that has nothing to do with Shonda. And I understand the connection that she drew between Amanda and her father. But you're telling me that at 16 years old, you don't understand the weight of beating someone so severely for so long and then setting them on fire? I could see where she finally exploded. Yeah, I see that. 
I see that she finally exploded and that that was her outlet. She obviously had misplaced blame. Those things are obvious. I don't, I'm not disputing anything that you're saying, but my feeling after looking into it so deeply and looking into each of these girls and their backgrounds and then watching all of them be interviewed and learning how they are in prison and after prison, my feeling is, is that, yeah, maybe they deserve a second chance. Yeah. I see. It does no good for them to be in... Okay. It does. Because it keeps it people way. safe. It is a protective measure that this doesn't happen to someone else. So can I get behind Tony being released? Sure. I can even try to get behind Hope being released. Lori and Melinda never should have been back on the street. Listen... Honestly, I feel like Hope is even worse than Lori and Melinda. I really do. No, she didn't do all of that horrific torturing, but she did participate in it. She had no problems in her childhood. And she had absolutely zero connection to Shanda or Amanda. She just went in but there and using, just violently offended. Using your own argument, though, she is 15 at the time, mm-hmm. incredibly impressionable, susceptible to that type of pressure, is in a dangerous situation. Yeah. That's why I feel the way I do about her being released. Yes, but I do find that she, cause she's probably even worse than Lori and Melinda was based on her prerogative. But I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what more to say. I have her. more points that I'd like to make. I don't know how to make them. I don't know how we can continue to debate because we're coming from two very different places. And honestly, this is just kind of rooted in, I guess, beliefs yeah. on our criminal justice system. Oh, You know what would change all of this, actually, that we must mention? I'm sure all of you that know us or have continued to listen to us, you all know that neither Mike nor I have children. That's also, I think, an important factor when it comes to our emotions. We both have nieces or nephews or whatever, but we have never had children. And I think that's important to weigh in because what if it was your child? How would you feel if something like this was done to your child? Oh, well, I'll tell you and right then now. on the other side, how would you feel if you were the parent of the offender? I'm already in awe of Jackie for being able to sit across from Hope. Yeah. To donate to this charity that Melinda is involved in. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm in awe of that capability of whatever level of forgiveness that takes. Well, she said she doesn't forgive her. And to Hope's credit Because you sometimes don't see this with people. They get cocky when they're out of prison and all they do is defend, defend, defend. Hope did not defend herself in this interview directly across from Jackie. And she said, I don't expect you to forgive me. And you, you know, that's your right. No, but there's there's some level of forgiveness or maybe acceptance is a better term or Mm. just being able to... To, I guess to move on. It's, I mean, she is... What a huge person it takes to be able to do any Absolutely. of the things that she's done. And that's me not as a parent and not as the parent well, of yeah. this child that had these horrific things done to her. Oh, yeah. We've even... I guess now it doesn't doesn't matter, but there were a few things that happened to her that we left out that I personally feel are too graphic to say, even for me. Well, I... Yeah. I didn't want to talk about the crime at all, Yeah, as I made very clear at the beginning. I will say, though, and these are unsure, which actually might... I don't know. I don't know. There were some sexual elements to the crime as well that I am not going to detail at this point, but some things did happen. Who committed those acts are... I don't think they've been disclosed or I couldn't find them. But again, I don't think that's such a huge standout point because a lot of these girls were sexually abused. So I could certainly... Again, 
understand that part of the crime, not necessarily that it was right or justified, but I think someone who's been sexually abused is probably going to sexually well, abuse someone else. the psychology of it, yeah. I can Yeah, that, that's what I'm right. trying to say. I understand the psychology behind it, so. I don't know. I don't think we can get anywhere else with this. We can't. I am exhausted. I think that was probably the most heated debate that we've had on the show to this point. This is the this is probably the debate where we agree the least. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're definitely we I, we can't agree on anything nope. other than Tony. I I do believe she that served justice her time was served and, there, right. Yeah, she served her time and we're both okay with that. But the other 3, I don't think we're going to Nope. Yeah. So I Although, guess Although, yeah, let it be known we we do agree that all the girls are guilty. All of the girls should have served time. The duration of that and the severity of the punishment is what we disagree on. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to like jump back in though to think like, I don't think... Go ahead. We've already been here for a minute. I know. I don't... I just don't (laughs) see why the plea deals were necessary. They had more than enough, specifically for Lori and Melinda. Mm. They had more than enough to just take it to trial. And I have no qualms about the death penalty. Oh, uh, yeah, that was a tidbit that we haven't put in exactly. So the plea deals were reached uh, primarily because they were being tried as adults and the death penalty would have been on the table. Oh, I mentioned that right at the oh, top. did yeah. you? Oh, I that apologize. They Apparently gonna, it was mentioned. Yeah, that they announced they were going to try them as adults and the they were going to seek the death yeah. penalty and that's why we had four plea deals. Yeah. I understand a plea deal for mm-hmm. Tony. Absolutely. Yeah. Although we and don't they really, really know... needed her corroboration. Yeah. We don't know 100% what went into it because a lot of, that goes on with plea deals as well is that the victim's family also has to agree to them. Jackie and Steven may not have wanted it. And the fact that Jackie is talking to any of them and like she donated to Melinda's cause, she interviewed with Hope Rippy. I don't ever think that it was Jackie's intention. She she didn't want to cause harm to these girls, even though they caused so Which much again, harm to... Uh, yeah. Huge person. She's a... Yes, I have absolutely. nothing to do with this, and I would have been totally fine with the death penalty being issued for at least some of these girls. Yes, I do think that she recognized that they were girls. I, I do think that. But they weren't acting like also, girls. They weren't acting like human it, beings when this was going on. I also think a huge factor when it comes to plea deals is obviously money. And you would have had to have four trials, which would have been incredibly expensive. So if the victim's family... Well, they wouldn't family... have had four, because I don't think there would have been a trial for Tony regardless. Yeah. I well, think the three, plea deal probably. was going to happen. Hope may have also been able to make a decent argument to still have a plea deal, because then they have two yeah. of them corroborating these things yeah. that happened. So you're probably looking at two, and they could have tried them together. Yeah, they could have. But what I'm saying is that there is still, like, they could have... It could have been yeah, for financial reasons. And not only that, it's just dragging all these people. Either way, Shanda's family would have had to have shown up to however many trials there were, and they probably didn't want to go through that. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just a lot of work when you have four minors sitting in front of you. Well, that's the end of my second wind. It was short-lived. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. But I did, that That popped into my head, yeah. right, as we were getting ready to close this out, and I, yeah, again, I felt the need uh, to put that out there. Certainly not... Not the funniest case that we've no. presented to you guys, but I think you understand now why we had to kind of refrain from humor because, uh, in most parts, this this was uh, there's yeah this was horrific. So that's it. Mm-hmm. That's the case. That's how yep. we both feel. I don't think either one of us is changing the other one's mind. Yep. You know, sometimes we still talk about this stuff afterward and. Maybe we kind of concede different things. I just mm-hmm. don't see it happening with this one. And I hate to say this, but don't forget to like, share, subscribe. And by like, I mean if you find what we have to say interesting, 
Not necessarily that you like it, because <laughs> there's nothing to like about this. But if you found this interesting, want to hear more, be sure to check out our socials that we said at the beginning and do all the things. Yep. All of the things. We still have a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Mm -hmm. Super exciting. And as of recording this episode, we are over 500 downloads in, in our very first yep. month. <laughs> yeah. So, so thank another you guys. huge yeah. thank you all yep. to all of you guys out there for continuing to listen to what we have to say. Yeah. So sorry Even though sometimes we don't want to listen yeah. to each other. No, this was draining. Yeah. Yeah. I'm exhausted. And I can't wait to go eat this pizza I have sitting over here on the <laughs> counter that yeah. was delivered while we were recording. Most importantly, please let us know what what you think. We we want to know what you please think. Who, who do you agree with? Please post all what? of the comments letting Heather know how right I am and how wrong we'll she is about justice being served we'll in this see. case. Especially you parents out there. Let us, let us know. Let us know what your opinions are. So that's all we've got for you today. So we will uh, see, you next, see you next week. Bye. Bye, guys.